Greetings friends, it's your old pal Kevin, just here to let you know that you can support How To Wrestling by heading over to patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling and becoming our lovely backer. If you want to get access to show notes, exclusive pay-per-view full-length episodes with Joe's amazing new fan perspective on all the happenings of wrestling, going all the way back to SummerSlam 2015. If you want to join me for some live streaming, playing some WWE 2K17, or if you want to request an episode, maybe as a gift for a loved one or maybe just some topic that you have to have covered on how to wrestling much like christopher holland's head has done for this very episode you can do that by becoming our backer head over to patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling for more information but for now enjoy this episode of how to wrestling it's how to piper friends and welcome to another episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first wrestling podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and we are joined today on this most auspicious of occasions looking at one of wrestling's greatest talkers, one of wrestling's greatest villains and one of the most hype over the top characters from the 1980s and beyond. It's How To Piper, we're looking at Rowdy Roddy Piper I'm Kevin Mann, resident explainer of wrestling things, joined by my partner in life, my partner in crime, and my co-host in this wrestling podcast, Joe Graham. Howdy. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very well. I think you went with howdy there. I'm experimenting. Howdy hoddy hyper over here. Is this kind of you're trying to rebrand yourself and get away from... Well, we've tried a few variations of my entrance, haven't we? Yeah. I think I've tried Howdy before. Have you? Mm. Going, see, we must say, uh, Joe's listening to old episodes of How To Wrestling at the moment. So maybe, like, you're kind of become really conscious about how you say Which hello ones worked stuff, well, which ones you know? didn't. If you want Joe to say Howdy, send in hashtag Joe Howdy. But how you, to Howdy. How to Howdy. <laughs> but if you rather, if she goes hi, just go How To Hi. It's easy peasy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Has to be high with, like, seven or eight eyes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that might be where we get into difficulty, yeah. you know, totting up those those hashtags. Hi. How you doing, Joe? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks. How, yeah, how are you? I'm very well. Are you excited to talk about Rowdy Roddy Piper? I'm excited. I'm a little bit nervous. A little bit? Why are you nervous? Oh, come on there. <laughs> he is born to controversy, he is, is Rowdy Roddy Piper. So, Rowdy Roddy Piper is a name which I'm of a good chance if you're a new fan or you're someone who's watched very little or no wrestling that there's a good chance you've heard this name before or at least something to do with Rowdy Roddy Piper I think he's one of those wrestlers who managed to shatter out of the wrestling bubble and kind of supplant himself in mainstream consciousness definitely I mean I knew him from Celebrity Wife Swap <laughs> that... so huge cultural influence he's had I mean I know particularly in America because we'll get into how Roddy was involved in everything from MTV to Hollywood movies and feuds with like every celebrity in in the eighties and beyond. But I mean, had you much knowledge of Roddy Piper before we we kind of delved into him here? No, before we delved into him, I had seen him in first of all Celebrity Wife Swap, which is what you, I don't know why you showed me. <laughs> I don't know. I, I cannot remember. It's when we first met and you were like, "Let's watch Celebrity Wife Swap with Ric Flair and Rowdy." Two wrestlers you've never seen. And on to this about. day, like we've not done how to Flair. <laughs> 
mean, you know Flair from, you know, managing Charlotte, but you've not really seen much oh, of yeah, the rest I know, then. I know Flair from that awkward car ride with, with Charlotte <laughs> where he was emotionally distant. I hate my daughter. But you saw these gentlemen on Celebrity Wife Swap. So, I mean, you were yeah. aware of them from that? Yeah, but, exactly. So, Joe is after watching a whole mess of Rowdy Roddy Piper. We watched Born to Controversy, the WWE-produced documentary on him. We watched a shed load of Piper's Pits. We watched They Live. We watched a whole bunch of matches. Joe, for new fans who are maybe trying to dip their toes into the rowdy waters of Rowdy Roddy Piper, how would you describe him in a sentence or two? Okay, he's really good on the mic. He wears a kilt. He's in inverted commas, Scottish. <laughs> How big are those inverted commas like? <laughs> um, people love him. People, I say that's the main thing I know about him is is how much people fucking love Roddy Piper. And where does that kind of come from? Is that from like the tweets which we've been getting in or just generally when you've seen him mentioned? Or? Both, yeah. Tweets when we've seen him mentioned, general influence on pop culture. He's in so much. He's the gentleman who passed away pretty much quite close to when you started watching wrestling. Okay. But yeah, Piper was uh, was kind of a shocking death in 2015. And I think maybe when you start watching wrestling and it starts off with an outpouring of grief for like one of the big legends, mm. that's probably going to reveal how much he meant to a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people grew up with Rowdy Roddy Piper. He's a big part of their lives. What I will say for Rowdy Roddy Piper is that he is known as being the best on the microphone ever. Wow. And you know it's he's good when... Pretty much anyone else you could put in that category or a contender for that, like Michael CM Punk is better or whoever is better. All those people always actually point to Roddy Piper and go, actually, he's the best of all time. Wow. Randy Roddy Piper, a wizard on the microphone. Never the greatest wrestler, but that was a man who knew how to make people hate him and he knew how to make people love him. And that's something which I'm very excited for us to get into, the hows and whys of that over his long, lengthy, legendary career. But Joe, before we get into all of that and all the nitty gritty of Roddy Piper, what did you learn in wrestling this week? Hang on, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my whistle. There we go. <laughs> I got better, haven't I? That's incredible. Have you been taking lessons from Rowdy Roddy Piper? Then? Yeah, I have actually. You listen to enough bagpipe music on a DVD you menu, just pick it up. you just pick it up, like. Yeah. So this week I learned in wrestling that Brock Lesnar and John Cena are the same age. Yeah, that's like for a lot of people that's like, well, it's a big deal about that. But for you, that's earth shattering. Yes, it's important because it solidifies a theory that I have, <laughs> which is I've, I've mentioned this before in the podcast. I think that John Cena was grown in a lab by Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. And I also think Brock Lesnar was grown in a lab by Vince McMahon. So you're expanding on your, your fan theory here now. Yeah. So okay. my new fan theory is that Vince McMahon grew both of these men in a lab, but there was a horrible mutation gone wrong. And one of the genetics on one of them sort of mutated and evolved and morphed into this horrible man beast (laughs) that we now know today as Brock Lesnar. So John Cena and Brock Lesnar are essentially good and evil signs of the same mutated creation that came from Vince McMahon's lab. So one became a man beast, one became a boy beast, is what exactly. you're basically saying. That's great, there's an episode of Red and Stimpy where they they, they split yeah. Red into his evil half and his ambivalent half, and I feel like that's kind of what's happened here with, with John Cena and Brock Lesnar. They were in the same class together in developmental wrestling. They are you the serious? Same, yeah, they came up at exactly the same time. Like I'm just saying, they are polar opposites of each other. One does charity work like every waking hour of his day, helps 
helps your new emerging talent in his own personal gym. The other lives in a cabin on a mountaintop where even his own manager has to drive out into the middle of nowhere to go contact him. One refuses to marry his uh, his bae. The other one broke Stalked into... and harassed her until... <laughs> the other one broke into, as yet at the time, not his bae's house and made her his bae. Yes, seriously. <laughs> so, man, different sides of the same fucked up giant muscular vascular coin are John Cena and Brock Lesnar. Yeah. So, Randy Roddy Piper, hailing from Glasgow, Scotland. Not Glasgow, because that's an actual place, okay? Glasgow is this weird made-up place, I think, wrestling created for Roddy Piper to wrongly make everyone think that's what Scottish people are like. Is it spelt the same as Glasgow? It is, but they always pronounce it as from Glasgow, Scotland. Rowdy Roddy Piper. We might as well address this right at the the start, going back to the start of, of Piper's life and times. He's not Scottish. Really? Were you? Were you? Did you expect him to be Scottish? Or? I thought maybe he'd have some kind of Scottish lineage or something. But I'm not. Honestly, I'm not that surprised that he hasn't got that at all. He like he doesn't do a Scottish accent. No. Piper is, is got a kind of a strange upbringing. The reason why he identifies as being Scottish or did it throughout his career is that he lived in like a whole bunch of places when he was a kid. He had quite a troubled upbringing, and I will say after looking up about Roddy Piper and trying to do research about him, and trying to discover about him, was jolly well difficult. Because even though Roddy Piper has done hundreds and hundreds of documentaries, books, interviews, all that such, there's a lot of kind of shrouded mystery about his upbringing and whatnot. The most that we can ascertain is that he definitely left home very, very young, and he had a very bad time at home from a young age. Yeah, it said in the documentary that he left home at 15, and it's just like literally one night he just left and never looked back, which makes me think something really fucking bad happened. And I don't want to like start off on a real dark point here. I'm very conscious of the fact that this is you know someone who's you know a legend and you know beloved and whatnot. But you can't ignore this like from the get go, which is Roddy has had like horrible shit happen to him throughout his life. Yeah. And when you're looking back at interviews with Roddy and discussions with Roddy and stories about Roddy, that's the number one thing to bear in mind is that I don't want to say, oh, he wasn't all there, but Roddy definitely had a trouble upbringing and he had a lot of difficulty getting on with people at certain points in his career. There's allegations that stuff happened to him, everything from. You know, sexual, physical abuse, mental abuse, all this stuff has been kind of, you know, alleged to have happened at different points in his career. And what's difficult about it is that Roddy was always so in love and protective of the wrestling business, and particularly the fraternity, the community of wrestlers, that he would very rarely talk about a lot of the stuff that had happened, like it was a sign of weakness and whatnot. I mean, there was an interview I was watching with him, one he did with Kayfabe Commentaries, where it literally seemed like right off the bat, like, they were saying that he was, you know, sexually assaulted by another wrestler for yeah. favours, essentially. And he won't, he just won't talk about it. He's like, he's a, he's in that headspace, he's about to say something, and he's just like, you know, man, and this, you gotta be a man, and just, and he just kind of trails off. Yeah, you gotta be a man and, and suppress every inch of anything horrible that's ever happened to you, and, and just wait until, you know, that fosters into a, a horrible drug addiction or a it's crippling like, mental illness. He's had a he's had a really hard go of it, and I Seriously. don't mean to start off on, like, a really you know, horrible 
point but like we talk about someone leaving home when they're a fucking teenager and literally not like oh you don't do that for no reason no it's not the kind of thing it's like oh mom made me clean my room i'm gonna leave and become a wrestler in the terrifying what what year was it when he became a wrestler 70s yeah fucking rough shit of all the time to get into wrestling like (laughs) that's that's a bad place you're coming from if that's where you're heading to yeah and i mean like piper he went in like he was like 15 years old pretty much straight away he was you know he was living on the streets he moved around quite a lot foster homes he lived in Saskatoon in Canada. He lived on a Native American reservation for a while. He did actually live in Glasgow very briefly. Huh. But originally he is Canadian. That is Piper's actual... Oh, I didn't know he's Canadian. Where, yeah, he is Canadian. That's where Piper is actually technically from. But yeah, leaving home that age. And there was a lot of hazing involved, I think, when you're I that age. Bet. He, he mentioned some of it on... Um, what was the documentary that we watched? What was that called? Born to Controversy. Born to Controversy, yeah. He mentioned some of the hazing that he received when he was first there, which I suppose is... I mean, you hear about some of the stuff that's happened, you know, even recently. Mm-hmm. And that's like older wrestlers have already kind of paid some of their dues. A 15-year-old back then coming with no experience i'm not at all surprised it's horrible and, i mean i think we did hey to Heyman recently and there's a lovely kind of moment where it's like oh it's Heyman and all these legends are wrestling and they're like hey yeah this young cool kid come on let's learn and let's sit around the learning tree and learn and like with piper it's more kind of you go rewind 10 years previous to when Heyman was getting in and where Heyman was getting in you're talking about like you know down south and some of these kind of rougher areas where wrestling was like you know, handgun on the dashboard, bottle of fucking Jack Daniels, we're driving down the highway, drinking beer and smoking spliffs and people trying to fight wrestlers for real, protect the business at all counts. Yeah. It's a hard time to get into wrestling, you know? So Roddy, like getting into to wrestling, he had a lot going for him. He actually could play those bagpipes. That was yeah, not a gimmick. That blew my mind because like, I'm well aware of... I lived in Scotland very briefly and I'm very well aware of how difficult bagpipes are to learn. They Fucking hard. One of the hardest instruments. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's incredible that he just... So how did he learn? Something he picked up. Like, you don't many... pick up bagpipes. It's, it's a question mark, honestly. He must like... have been like hanging out with some bagpipe players and they must have As like, you do, like... peer pressured him into it. I mean, one will assume like if he did live in Glasgow or lived in Scotland very suppose, briefly as he yeah. came, that's probably when he did it. But I mean, there's stories of him... And again, with a lot of Piper's upbringing, a lot of his past, some of it can be exaggerated or not, but there's, there's stories of him like entering like the World Bagpiping yeah. Championships and all this stuff. And I used to laugh because there was a Louis Through documentary that he did on wrestling way back in 2000, and he went to WCW at the time, and he very briefly chatted with Roddy Piper, and he's like, oh, can I look in your bag, Roddy? And he's like, yeah, really? And so he opens up his bag, he's like, oh, I got my knee pads in here. Got my bagpipes, never leave home without them. I remember like my son, like, yeah, fucking right. Like, what a fucking carny this Roddy Piper is. He pretends to play bagpipes and he brings them with him everywhere. What a fucking lie. And then, like, randomly, like, I watched, like, Legends House or some documentary. He pulls them out, like, he can like, fucking play bagpipes. It's amazing. Like. And he was playing them at a really young age. Yeah, like, really young. He says that his pipe band would play him to the ring. Isn't that so cute? That is so cute. But also, I didn't know a pipe band was a thing. <laughs> My pipe band, like. Yeah, fuck John Cena and Brock Lesnar. This week I learned in wrestling that pipe bands exist. <laughs> and they can play your friends out to the ring yeah, if they cute. become wrestlers. So with the hazing and whatnot and the kind of getting into wrestling at that young of an age... You're basically talking about getting the shit knocked out of you for five years all over the world. He mentioned at one point being literally 
like piled into a van. This is like when he left home basically and he like, became a wrestler. They literally piled him into a van and like took him out to become a wrestler and that was it. It's terrifying. How does that happen? Like, again, what is going on there? Like, how did he know these people? Well, what happened with Roddy was that he was living like the YMCA and he was he was homeless, you know, so he had to like live in this, this place and it was like 25 cents a night to stay or whatever and he was running out of money and his priest or whoever it was was like, you know, <laughs> I know a guy who, who can get you a wrestling match if you need a bit of money and literally was just like a body to go and get the shit knocked out of and wow. there you go and it's like hey do you want to basically make three months rent by doing a couple of nights work yeah sure in the van off you go so like you can argue about how much of a choice Roddy had in terms of entering the wrestling world but I always think and this is the most important thing when trying to get into that mindset of Roddy Piper as confusing as it can be is that for him that felt uh, was a lifeline. He always thought yeah. that it was a lifeline, that he was basically facing, here's the streets and here's being homeless and nowhere to go and no one to look after you. Here's wrestling. Here's a group of guys who are looking after you in their own fucked up way. They're hazing you, but you're learning this skill. They're very protective of this special business. They're trying to make you appreciate how special it is and how lucky you are to be let into this fraternity of wrestling. I suppose under those circumstances it would be very easy to feel as though the wrestling industry was your family mm. when you haven't had a family really and then that's what you go into oh Roddy always viewed that always and I think there's a lot of it that Roddy felt that he owed wrestling a lot because of because of that fact but then they do shit like they drove out in the middle of nowhere one time and just left him there yeah and literally just left him there and made 27 him walk back. miles from the arena like. treat him like Byron Saxton <laughs> I mean, that's just cruel. You do not treat Roddy Piper like Byron Saxton. But I mean, when I, I saw Roddy do a spoken word thing live, and he talked about like some of the guys that he rode with at this time, and like legitimate like madmen, like some of the shit, the crazy fucking stories. Like it's it's the stuff of like you know TV shows. You didn't think real life was like this, really? Yeah, and, like Roddy. Roddy always was super protective of the wrestlers themselves and felt that because they brought him in that he, he felt he needed to kind of look after them. Someone actually sent in. It was really, really sweet. It's probably one of the sweetest things I've ever seen in, in wrestling. Someone sent in in a tweet, Piper, around about this time when maybe a couple of years after this, he had written a little, just like two sides of A4, handwritten, and it was basically like protecting the business. Here's your guide if you're new into wrestling. Here's how to look after yourself. Here's how to make sure that the promoters don't take advantage of you. He would write things like, gas is going up five cents uh, a litre you know, this year, so you make sure you ask the promoter to give you an increase for your for your travel. And he's wow. like, you know, don't... You know, like, you, you find out how much these guys are being paid, make sure that you're getting paid right, getting paid on time. You know, if these promoters have screwed you over, let us know, and we'll spread the word around. And Piper would write this up. He would copy a million copies of it. Every dressing room he went into, he'd just leave a stack of them. And he, yeah. he, he said the names, like, by Mr. K. Fabe. Like, he wouldn't write his name on it. And it was just him trying to help new young guys because he had been in that position and knew oh, how easy it was to be taken advantage of. That's really sad but nice. It is. It's really nice. And I think heart, Ronnie's heart was always in the right place a lot of the time as it pertains to his views on promoters and his views on the wrestlers themselves. He always took quite an anti-promoter stance. And I think maybe a lot of that could be down to you know when he was young he was taken advantage of by a lot of promoters because... Mm. 
you know, a lot of the promoters weren't so nice back then. Case yeah. in point, Roddy's first match, which he claimed was set the all-time wrestling record for shortest match. It was like 10 seconds bell to bell. He was thrown in. He didn't even know how to wrestle. He didn't even know if it was real or if it was fake. Mm. Literally out there, off you go, wrestle. And you know who he wrestled against? Who? There's a guy called Larry the Axe Hennig. Wait, Hennig as in... As in Kurt, Kurt Hennig's Hennig. dad. Oh, Kurt's Ax- dad. Yeah, it was Kurt Hennig's dad, Curtis Axel's grandfather, Larry wow. the Axe Hennig. Wrestle Roddy Piper in his first match, like so. That's cool. He gets some glimpses in this, uh, like a documentary where they talk about like, all different places he went. Roddy, he's like, I fucking hate Japan so much. <laughs> There's no horrible shit happened to him wherever he went, like yeah. you know, it's really horrid. But Piper started to make his name for himself with his mouth because Piper was never the best wrestler, but he could fucking talk him in the building. Like a lot of Piper's stuff. And I'll be honest, this is one of these situations where you go back and you watch it with a new fan and it's kind of, it's very difficult to to explain. And much like your racist uncle at Christmas dinner, trying to explain is very difficult, but trying to ignore is just as difficult. But a lot of the way that Piper made his name for himself as a heel back in the day was by race baiting, which was essentially, here's Piper standing in the middle of the ring in Los Angeles with a large Hispanic audience making fun of Chavo Guerrero and making fun of Mexican people, says he's going to apologise by playing the Mexican national anthem and he plays the cucaracha on the bagpipes. Yep. This is not the first nor the last time. That was Piper in the 70s and the 80s. That was his modus operandi. That was how, I mean, fucking the 90s as well. I, like, I don't want to sign up and go, well, it was, times were different, so it was okay. Or... Piper wasn't the only one to do it, so it was okay. It's not okay. I mean, that's just the way wrestling got a lot of people in the building back in those days. Mm. We've got a Hispanic audience who's going to say stuff that's going to rile people up. It was just a way to get heat. Mm. And then those people will pay money to see Roddy Piper get the shit knocked out of him by Chavo Guerrero because he's only a stupid, phony, fake wrestler, big mouth, but Chavo Guerrero, he can kick his ass. Yeah. Or, you know, be it Mr. T or whoever it was is going to kick this guy's ass because he's just in there running his mouth. But you can't shy away from that fact that a lot of Piper's notoriety came from him riling up different racial groups. It's funny because, like, before we did this episode... I was. I knew that he was known for his promos, yeah. and that he was considered one of the best on the mic. I had no idea about all the racism and shit like that. Well, like, no idea. WWE have done quite a good job of like sweeping Not a lot just of this. WWE, stuff. I'd say a lot of fans and the wrestling sort of community does quite a good job of like, yeah, but we don't talk about. Yeah, it is. That. Like it is, and it's. It and was it, different then. It's hard for me as well because I didn't grow up with Piper. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, this is going to sound completely different if it was coming from someone who grew up in the 80s and was much much more aware of what it was like back then and how it was perceived back then. And obviously as well, as a white lad talked about how offensive it is for... I mean, I can't speak on their behalf, but mm. it, it is worth bearing in mind that Piper and wrestling had a serious penchant for race bait back in those days. That was like that was their, one of their main ways of getting people in the door. And it's not just bad guys saying it to rile up the crowd. It worked the other way as well. I mean, there were so many instances of the 80s and 70s of here's the evil Russian, here's the evil Nazi, here's the evil Japanese guy. Here's, they still you know, do that shit now. Yeah, they do. I guess they're a little bit more... Oh yeah, of course it's not 
as nowhere near as bad. But yeah, it's the baby still faces ain't using racial slurs to rile up the crowd like they were oh, back no, then. Oh no, they'll be much more vague with their racism. It's it's just worth bearing in mind that, that wrestling has a huge problem with it. And yeah. when I was trying to look up about Roddy Piper and a lot of this kind of this race baiting antics, one of the big problems about it was that every single thing on Google was just like, oh well, come out the Hogan has been racist from that sex tape that was leaked. Let's look back at all the racist shit in wrestling and Piper's there front and centre going, well, look, there he is. Like, he did all this fucking racist shit. Wrestling has a racism problem from the 80s. And it did. It massively did. Yeah. Like many things that are unpalatable, WWE is simply elected to retell that story. Yeah. And I know I've spent a good deal of my podcasting career looking at the hypocrisy of... The Attitude Era, them kind of going, well, it wasn't really about all this horrible shit we did. It was about this wacky fun stuff. Pretty much the same in the 80s. One of the reasons why Piper was so shocking to me was I always knew who Piper was. I got this documentary back, like, you know, 2006, whenever it was, and I put in that DVD, and me and my brother were like, holy shit! Roddy Piper, fuck, what the fuck was he doing? Whoa! And we were like, our minds were fucking blown that, you know, Born to controversy, it didn't mean that he was pulling on the tights and poking people in the eyes. It meant that he was saying fucking, whoa, crazy, yeah. racist shit at times. It was really, really shocking. Piper made a huge name for himself in Portlandia, the Portland Territory. Don Owens was a wrestling promoter who really, really gave him a massive break and allowed Piper to kind of, to shine and like position him as being a top star. And one of the main reasons why Piper became, you know, not just a regional, but like a, a national star was because of this guy Don Owen. And it's always been said that Piper viewed Don Owen as being almost like a father figure and really kind of helped ground him and helped realise his potential. And Piper was super, super loyal to people who were good to him. Mm. Like when Piper later signed with WWF, he refused to wrestle in Portland um, because he didn't want to compete against Don Owen and that territory. That's quite sweet. It is. Like, not many guys would do that. No. You know? I, I wouldn't expect anyone to do that. <laughs> no. Really. It's, it's a business. So Piper then went into the Mid-Atlantic Territory in the NWA, and he became a big nasty heel on TV, and people were fucking incensed by this guy. Now, what was it that made people hate Piper so much in NWA Mid-Atlantic? He wore a dress. People were obsessed with the kills. I don't understand this at all. <laughs> Oh, it's like, is it, is it an, a, like a time thing? Is it the fact that it was the 80s? Or is it the fact that it's America? Or is it both? But the idea there that a kilt is a skirt, yeah. and therefore the worst possible thing. People were incensed, like particularly down south where a lot of NWA ran. Because here comes this guy with this big fucking mouth on him, and he's wearing this, he's wearing a dress. Can you believe it? Like, you know... Like you have to take a few steps back now as a, as a modern wrestling fan to be like, well, first of all, a kilt isn't a skirt. No, it's a kilt. S- second of all, a skirt is not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> no. Like, what the fuck? Piper, you, it was all okay when you were you know, race bait and all that, but once you put on that kilt, you crossed the line, my friend. Yes, seriously, <laughs> priorities. I like the announcers were like, oh, look at this guy wearing this you know, this skirt or whatever. Like Later on, it would become like a thing of him as a face. Like, kind of, you know, I... I wear this because I've got the balls to wear, kind of, and you know, it's a sign of a real man. I can wear whatever I want. That was cool, but back in the 80s, like, Piper and Flair, when they would feud, Flair would just be incensed that this man in a dress was coming out. Like, how dare he? But, like, seriously, did they not know what kilts are? I don't think they did. So, 
Okay, Gen- genuine question. I do not mean any offence here. Do Americans still not really understand what kilts are? I think they do now. Okay. And honestly... So it was like an 80s thing. People just didn't know. Yeah, 70s and 80s, the exposure... I mean, they thought that Roddy Piper's voice was what, you know, Scottish people sounded like. And I have met people at WrestleMania and stuff like that, you know, American fans who, like, genuinely associate like a lot of Scotland thinking that's Roddy Piper that's kind of what it is like, wow. like I remember a mate of mine was in WWF New York and a, and a fan you know one of the fans who walks around with a belt on his shoulder he's like where are you guys from he's like oh we're from Ireland oh Ireland like Scotland you know like Roddy Piper wow. uh, yeah sure <laughs> I'm curious as well as to what Scottish wrestlers think about Roddy Piper because there's loads of Scottish wrestlers now. There are, yes. Loads of great ones. All I'll say is that when I saw... It's <laughs> like such not a, not a good answer. But like in terms of identifying as being Scottish and whatnot, he basically cut a promo when I saw him do his one-man show. And he was like, look, I never had a home. Like, never had a home. I never had a place where I identified with being from home. I left you know, home when I was a kid. And I went to all these different places. And the one place where I felt, like, welcomed and people reciprocated the love was Scotland. And I wore this kilt and I played those bagpipes to represent the Scottish people. So, that... And he said it in a way where there was tears in his eyes and his voice did that thing where it wavers because you can know he's being serious with you people right now here are the re and i was like oh piper i just you know oh my god you're scottish <laughs> so <laughs> i mean i don't i i do believe he's got genuine love for scotland i don't know? think you'd make all the effort to learn the bagpipes and wear a kilt no. in america in the deep south in the 80s if you didn't have a genuine love but my opinion my my question isn't about what his opinion mm. was on scotland i'm sure he does love them Greatly. I want to know what Scotland thought of him. Well, I mean, I would imagine that he, not being Scottish, I can't really answer that question. So <laughs> if you're Scottish, please tweet in using the hashtag HowToPiper. Let us know what are your thoughts on, you know, being a Scottish person's Piper make you filled with pride? Or is it a bit like, oh, Jesus, there's that lad out pretending to be Scottish. But like, I've met people who feel both ways. I mean, I've met people who are like, yeah. oh, fuck yeah, Roddy Piper, he you know, embodies Scottish qualities. And I know people who are like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, because it is in a way almost a caricature, mm. but also he's got elements of it that are very much our core parts of Scottish yeah. culture. It's, it's an interesting weird. one. It's really, really strange. And the first match we watched at Roddy Piper, we watched a bit of detail. One of a match that was requested en masse which was Reddy Roddy Piper taking on Greg the Hammer Valentine from Starcade 1983 in a dog collar match. Now, this was a first for a number of reasons. This is the first ever pay-per-view that we were watching this from. So there was never... Yeah, it's the first ever pay-per-view. Oh, wow. Incredible, right? It was the first... It was shown on closed circuit, which meant that you paid a ticket, you watched, went to watch this in like a cinema or a theatre or whatever oh, like that. Oh my God. So they actually tried to preempt WrestleMania by doing the show a few months beforehand. Wow. And a dog collar match. Now, for me, who's watched a trillion billion of these types of matches, I was like, yep, dog collar match, here we go. And as soon as they said these two would be joined up with a dog collar, your fucking eyes popped out of your head. You're like, what? It just seems... <laughs> Ridiculous. How so? Because, first of all, they're wearing dog collars. Mm-hmm. That's pretty silly. Then they're tied up by a chain. To the neck as well. That's what makes it scary. Yeah, it's a very vulnerable area. There's a lot of, like, there's been a lot of chain matches and collar matches, but oftentimes it's the wrist 
Very yes. rarely will they go around the neck. Like. I'm surprised they don't do it for the ankle more often. Because you think oh, that would Jesus, be... Jesus, that would be fucking... That would be scary, trying to run and stuff against yeah. the ropes. The neck is a scary, scary, scary place. And also, Roddy Piper made the dog collar and the chain. Yeah. Like, he went out and bought the leather and all the supplies and the fucking dog studs that he put in the collar himself and then got it all made at a shoe place. <laughs> it's all so... DIY. It is, isn't it? There's kind of like a punk rock quality to a lot of the wrestling at the time. It's like, you and I are going to have a great match. Let's go down to the shoemakers and get some leather and some studs and some chain like. What was really shocking to me was the idea that like gimmick, violent gimmick matches like this existed in the early 80s. I thought they didn't exist until like the late 90s. And what was it like about that? Like, why did you like not assume this kind of stuff was happening back in the you know, early eighties? Because this is eighty three. This yeah. is pre Hulkamania. Like, I think it's because when we were watching matches for Hulk Hogan, Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect, the crowds there all seem older. They wear kind of pale colours. The matches as well were slow, kind of pantomime. Pantomime kind of, yeah, yeah. never go over the top rope. Hardly any blood. Although obviously there was occasionally. Mm. It just seems a lot more soft core. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this reminded me of ECW. Like, the crowd were really into it. They were getting angry. Yeah. I mean, before the match even started, there was blood covering the ring. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because this is like... Grimy. I was telling you, this is a this is a bloody match, Joe. Like, the match starts before there's already blood smeared and it's dried on dirty fucking canvas. Like, it's really gross. It's, it's really interesting because a lot of the narrative is kind of... Oh, wrestling was soft in the 80s. Then the 90s, ECW kind of made it hardcore. Then WWE nicked that. And then wrestling itself became a lot more violent. And then, you know, it tamed down again in more recent years. But, oh boy, you go back into the 70s, the 80s. Jeez, even the 60s in some of these places. Some of the territories down south. Particularly places like Puerto Rico. They fucking beat the shit out of each other. I mean, talking real bloody, real gory. You're talking about guys stabbing each other with, with instruments, forks. You know, shivs, all this kind of horrible, gross stuff. and That's horrible. It's so funny as well, because there was a real disconnect between the NWA fans and the WBF fans. Because if you were a wrestling fan back then, there was stuff like this going on. And not every match was a bloody massacre like this. But there was hard-hitting, drag-out brawls, like, come on, kill him. And then there was the kind of cartoony stuff. And there was a real fine line, a real big line was drawn down between the two companies. Because... One is being cartoony in Saturday morning kids show and the other one is being like lads, blood, sweat, tears, leaving all the ring, beating the shit out of each other. And I honestly think this is one of the most disturbing matches to watch. I was wondering, do people ever these days or did they during like the Attitude Era kind of times ever go like, oh, wrestling's so violent now. Remember the good old days when wrestling was like all... All nice and soft, and there wasn't needless violence, yeah, no, they and did. blood, and weapons. There's actually a pay per view that me and Adam reviewed for the Adventure podcast, which came out in 1989, called Heroes of Wrestling. And the idea was they'd get a load of guys from this time period, like Greg Valentine, who was on the show, and they're like, we'll put on the old time wrestling, the wrestling that you guys used to love. And there was you know, a lot of the soft style and the old match and the gimmicks. But there was one match on it which was like, here's the 1980s bloodbath and they were lads stabbing each other with fucking forks. What the hell? everywhere, like. And that that's a part of 80s wrestling and you can't get around it, like, yeah. Oh. 
Is that really shocking for you, yeah, I guess, is it? Yeah, that's really shocking. Yeah, wrestling. I just assumed that, like, when we saw all those kinds of matches from, like, Mr. Perfect and stuff with the nice little older Yay! audience, <laughs> their soft pastel colours and their <laughs> clean wrestling, I just assumed that's that was the time. God, yeah, I can't wait to watch some, like, Ric Flair, Terry Funk with you from the 80s and shit and see some of the real hardcore oh, wars God. these guys got into. So are we going to do an episode on NWA, then? I think we'll do an episode a lot of wrestlers featured from around this time. You'll probably get to see more of this, a lot of the NWA. WA mainstays like Flair and Harley Race and Terry Funk and you'll get to see there was a lot more of this going on because this match that was fucking this was hardcore these guys were wrapping the chain around their faces into the eyes into the nose horrible I've got some uh, great quotes here from Joe from, from watching this match <laughs> no don't do that don't punch him with that horrid chain fist <laughs> It was horrid. He wrapped the chain around his fist and I just knew what was coming. Of course, he's going to use it as like a... What are those things called? The Brass game? nooks, yeah, kind of. Like that, yeah, like that, but more horrid. And what I love most about it as well is like how nonchalant Gordon Soley, the ring announcer, is like, and now Rowdy Roddy Piper, bleeding profusely from the ear, he's lost most of his hearing, blood all down his front, and now he's, yes, he's gouging out Greg Valentine's eyes with that chain. <laughs> he's now going to try and put the chain in his mouth and rip it out his asshole. He's, he's eviscerating him here, and he gets the win. It's... Like, they're so chill about they it. Are. They are so chill. It's it's chilling how chill they are. Piper's selling here. I mean, one could argue how much this is selling, how much is it a man being beaten half to death with a fucking chain, but... Um, oh, I mean, yeah, I mean... Oh, oh, I mean, I know I'm just making noises right now, but fucking hell. <laughs> ASMR podcast. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it was. It was pouring from his ear. And before the match even started, they were like, he's had a previous injury to his ear. His balance is all off. He probably can't even hear out of it right now. And then Greg Valentine just goes for the ear, keeps punching him with his chain fist, blood everywhere. Forearms nonstop. You know, it's the only move Greg Valentine does in this match. He does forearms and he does elbows and literally that's it. He does no other wrestling move in this whole match. And yet... It is a bloodbath, this thing. I think it's one of the most captivating fucking stories in a wrestling match. It's just this guy, Piper, won't stay down. And he's, like, spasming. And, you know, there's a lot of cocaine running through those veins. Superhuman strength, like... At one point, Roddy has Greg in, like, like a hold. Yeah. And his head is resting on his chest. And the blood is just falling onto Greg's, like arms and side and it's just all coming from Roddy's ear and I I have a like a weakness I think for like ear injuries mm. and eye injuries are particularly mm. like, disgusting to me now Piper's always maintained that he irrevocably damaged his ear in this match he like split his eardrum I'm not fucking surprised and you know the real thing about it though is that like some people like think that Piper like exaggerated that and maintained that for kayfabe oh he just, he just faked all that ear that ear injury that blood he just poured some ketchup in there. But he claimed that he never heard right out of his ear ever ever since as a result of this match. Mm. And he said this was the hardest match that he'd ever been involved with in any way, shape or form. I'm really not surprised at all because their ears are sensitive, fragile things. Mm. They are not as sturdy and as hardy as we may think. And I love the way this match just end with like a big like spot. It's literally just Piper yanks him off the top rope with the chain, batters him with it and just kind of 
rolls him around into a chain ball and just wins and then Greg kills him again afterwards. It was horrible because like the bell finally rung. I was like, yes, this match is over. And then no, it just keeps going. You know how he was called Greg the Hammer Valentine? This is probably going to make this worse oh, for you now. Jesus. Like Flair wrote in his book about like how he got that name because he would literally just, ha- his forearm was legendary. He would just beat you with that forearm, like make a big smack. That was his, he would hammer you. That was Greg Valentine's gimmick. And covered in chains, I oh, imagine it's even Covered worse. in blood. Horrible match, I think though, in terms of like just leaving it all in the ring and just seeing uh, like an absolute emotional war. Fucking hell, this was uh, uh, exasperating to watch. I loved it though. This is one of my fave Piper matches. What did you uh, think? I did not like it. Are you squeamish from the blood? I'm squeamish about all of it. The the collars around the neck makes me very uncomfortable because I know how fucking easy it is to injure yourself there and the, the damage that you can do to your neck can be like, see it, like, come on. Listen to how to Steve Austin and, yeah. and hear about some of the shit that happens with neck injuries. That makes me uncomfortable. The bleeding from the ear and then not the fact that they didn't even check on him. The refs don't yeah. like, come in like, are you all right there, Roddy? None of that. Like modern wrestling. No, no. It's just like, yeah, let's just keep pounding him in the ear with a chain. Oh, what's really scary about this match as well is you can you can see how heavy the chain is. Yeah. Like when they're doing the tug of war at the start and the chain keeps falling down. It's a it's not a gimmick no. fake wrestling chain. That's a proper fucking hardcore chain. It's a it's an absolute war. Did you give it a rating? I did. I gave it two stars out of five. That's because you were hiding behind your eyes so much you couldn't see most of the match. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I say it's it's a horrid match, but probably is quite important watching. If if you were like me as a new fan and you kind of assumed that all wrestling before the nineties was like nice soft quaint moves. I'm a lot of people as well because Piper is so heavily associated with being a talker and also his wrestling style was kind of you know, like random boxing jabs and a mm. bit kind of wacky and cartoony I think a lot of people wrongly assume that Piper wasn't in these kind of wars or Piper didn't have these knockout drag out brawls because he fucking did. Yeah, he did. You know, he really, really did. And his selling in this was really good. Like, I'm sure a lot of it probably was uh, was just legit. It's easy to sell when you're dying. <laughs> like, the whole being out of balance thing and constantly falling over. Yeah, because of his ear. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that was all really, really good. He got hoovered up during the WWF expansion. Like, we talked all the way back in our first episode of Hate Wrestling with Vince McMahon buying up all the various territories and, you know taking their top stars so he could have his showcase of the best of the best and he got Hogan and he got a couple of guys who we were planning to be his main good guys but Piper was hoovered up not initially brought in to be the top bad guy the top bad guy who was brought in was actually meant to be this guy called uh, Dr. Death David Schultz Piper because he was smaller typical fucking McMahon like he was smaller so he thought he could be Dave Schultz's mouthpiece because he could talk right. and we'd have him be a manager we'd have him say all this shit but pretty much early on, they gave him this segment called Piper's Pitch, where he could just, just say what he wanted to, mouth off. And Piper got over so much as a heel that before long, he was the top heel in the country. Mm. Piper's Pitch is a weird one to kind of... It's something which for its time was really, really like groundbreaking. The idea of giving a wrestler their own little talk segment, where this is my show, you come on, I interview you... Like, that's done to death now. You've got the highlight reel, you've had the cutting edge with Edge, the peep show with Christian. Everyone has, like, their own little segment where they can bring people on. But Piper was the first to actually do this. So a wrestler who had his own little, you know, he could sit down and got a backdrop and everything. And we watched a whole bunch of Piper's Pits, 
including my favourite Piper's Pit with a young journeyman wrestler, Frankie Williams. Where are you from, Frankie? I'm oh, from Columbus, Ohio. And he's getting a big fucking fight and beats the shit out of him. Like. <laughs> um, I asked Piper about Frankie Williams when I met him. Yeah. I was like, you know, did Frankie know what you were going to do? And he goes, no, Frankie was just told to kind of you know, expect things to go south, but he didn't know what was going to happen. Wow. So you got Frankie Williams, who literally tries to set up for himself, going, oh, let me tell you something, even though I don't win a lot of matches, I leave it all in the ring every day. Ah, da, da, and Piper just beats the <laughs> shit out of him. Like, and then Frankie tries to come back on, and he beats him up again. <laughs> and we get some great quotes from Piper. Mm. This is where his real majesty comes in, his real strength. He was a wordsmith. And... A lot of the wrestlers these days, majority of them either get like big talking points or their whole promo scripted out from Piper, 100% him off the cuff or stuff he'd written down. That's so incredible to me because he says about the Frankie Williams bit, he says that he came out, he didn't know who he was. He had literally no idea who this guy was that he was supposed to be cutting this, would you call it a promo? A segment even, segment, yeah, a whole I segment, guess. yeah. And he asks him where he's from and he says Columbus, Ohio. And Piper immediately is like, oh, thank God, I can have an angle here. <laughs> but all on the fly to think like that. I think yeah. the gold comes up with. Just when they think they've got the answers, I change the questions. Or like the one where he, like, he basically starts a fight with Andre the Giant. I love when Andre picks him up even though he's sitting down. And Piper's like, ah, full of <laughs> cocaine and piss and vinegar. He says, you do not throw rocks at a man with a machine gun. Oh, God. He's so quotable. Really quotable. He should be paid. Oh, I just remember that he is dead now. That's sad. Mm. But I was going to say that he, he would have made a really great job coming up with like Hollywood one-liners for action movies. I don't know if it's just that it worked for Piper, but Piper never was like writing promos for people. It was always his own process, his own stuff that he came up with. And... He was really, really good at like coming up with these just insanely quotable stuff. Yeah. Like you'd hope to have one line like yeah. that in your career. <laughs> Not like you come up with one every now and then, like every week you'd come up with something fucking awesome. The real um, incident that everyone remembers from Piper's Pit, the most famous incident, and one was really interesting to talk about, where Jimmy Snooker got his face smashed open with a coconut. Yep. Bit of a weird one here, because it's a very uh, famous, beloved incident where Piper you know, brings on Snooker onto Piper's pit, and the whole angle is that previously Snooker was brought on and he wasn't allowed to talk, so Snooker's brought back on and Piper's incensed that he's complained, so he's like, oh, I'm going to make you feel at home. So he gets out loads of fruit and like, you know, pineapples and bananas and coconuts to make him feel like he's home in the Fiji Isles. Another, another race bait in promo from old Hot Rod. And he... Starts the confrontation, he gets this coconut and he smashes it into Jimmy Snooker's face. And to quote Roddy Piper, I thought I killed him. How do you smash a coconut? Yeah. The force required. I've tried to open coconuts in the past and I've been unsuccessful even with the use of like hammers and <laughs> like actual tools. tools. Like, and he just lobs it at his head and it just disintegrates. Fucking and like what I love most about it is that he hits him so hard, you can tell straight away that, like, Snooker is, like, his lights are out because mm. he just falls into the set. And for years, I remember, like, just, you see the clip of him hitting with the coconuts. Like, I remember Roddy hit 
snuck it with a coconut. Lol. Ha ha. But you don't see the bit after, which is Roddy smashed him with a coconut. Snooker falls into the set. It all falls down. And Piper just tries to kill him. He like keeps beating him up, throws him into the door. Snooker comes up covered in blood going, Aah! runs after Piper. Piper closes the door behind him. He smashes into the door. It's And the people are like fucking going to cause a riot. These two like sold out like Madison Square Garden all around the country. They sold out um, venues on the base of this feud. Piper was like the hottest heel, like nuclear heat at this time. People wanted this man to be killed. Coming out here, wearing a skirt, smashing a coconut over beloved alleged murder. Jimmy Superfly snuck his face. How dare the man do such a thing? It was a... It was a weird, weird angle looking back at us. Yeah, it's seriously weird. But, it's fucked up. But not the weirdest. No, not the weirdest. I think the next one you're probably going to mention is the weirdest. There's not much context one can provide to make this one make a lot of sense, but it's Roddy Piper and Cowboy Bob Orton shaving a little person, uh, shaving their hair off, uh, making it into a mohawk. Because, is that what they're doing? Because they yeah. only showed like very short clips and it just looked like varying levels of hate crimes yeah it looked like, like kind of two hate rolled into one like ha, ha. someone with dwarfism ha 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 a black man ha, the ha, idea ha, ha. was they were shaving his head because this is when he started his feud with uh, Mr. T they shaved this guy's head into a mohawk kind of trying to psych out Mr. T but as far as I know that guy ended up being in Mr. T's corner when he vanquished the old heel Roddy Piper later on which is meant to make it okay, I guess. Yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah, it's fine Fine to do hate crime, so long as later on the, the victim of said hate crime gets to stand in the corner of the person that never fully gets revenge on the the harasser in the first instance. That's fine. That's the fine. 1980s, ladies and gentlemen. A different, different, different time. That was like one of the most shocking things I thought about the whole of Roddy Piper's career. And the fact as well that he used to do it so nonchalantly. Seriously, and they like... got back to it all the... So at the time of this documentary, they obviously thought that that, that instance was not shocking 2006 enough. is okay to yeah, mention. Yeah, it's still like... okay to, to shave black people with dwarfism in like, to entertain people. And like, Cowboy Bob Orton's like, well, that was something when we did that. Like, Jesus. Are you serious? Like, this is horrible. Why didn't you interview the guy they fucking shaved? Seriously. <laughs> How did you fucking feel about that, yeah. mate? So, all this shit that was going on was basically getting Piper across to the because this is all on national TV as well unlike before where Piper was doing this stuff it was kind of you know in regional promotions small arenas local TV you're now on national TV worldwide audiences seeing Piper doing all this shit so Piper essentially becomes the world's biggest villain and he was hated so much around this time like so so much like you can pretty much ask anyone from the 1980s who grew up anywhere in America, I'm pretty sure they knew about Piper in the 80s, even if they weren't wrestling fans, because Piper, around this time, transcended into the mainstream. And a lot of what wrestling was doing at the time with Vince McMahon and how it became so popular was that they got into the mainstream. Rock and wrestling was something we mentioned briefly before with Hulk Hogan, where they managed to cross over with MTV and Cindy Lauper. Now, the whole thing came about because Roddy Piper and a few wrestlers through a guy called Captain Lou Albano, got into Cyndi Lauper's music video for The Goonies Are Good Enough. And that led then to her being involved in a wrestling angle. They were presenting Cyndi Lauper with a gold record for The Goonies Are Good Enough, you know, reaching so many record sales. In Madison Square Garden, here's Lou Albano giving Cyndi Lauper 
the uh, the big award, and that's not lovely. And out comes Rowdy Roddy Piper, who breaks the gold disc over Lou Albano's head and kicks Cindy Lauper. Yep. In front, and this is like people are tuning this in, like Cindy Lauper fans, people who are probably like, "Yay, I love Cindy Lauper and this wrestling thing." Looks, who's this evil Scottish? monster coming in he's kicked Cindy Lauper and smashed the record what the fuck <laughs> like they were like when they got their chance to do a little bit of mainstream they didn't kind of go well let's present them with like a little bit toned down no they went fucking full on you got full on hot rods and the mainstream got exposed to Roddy Piper and Roddy Piper was brought out to them as being history's greatest monster <laughs> he says if a woman hits me I hit her back he said, like, so many... If you go back and you watch all these segments, all these Piper pits... Like, I find oh. it, it's funny that, like, watching all this, that was, like, the least offensive thing about yeah. anything in his career. I was like, oh, of course. <laughs> of course if a woman hits him, he hits her back. That's that's not even offensive at this point. I tried to look up and find out about what his thoughts were, you know, looking back with the benefit of hindsight and seeing you know, what he thought of a lot of this stuff. And it's it's hard. It's it's like impossible because when he taught is brought up any of this stuff, he kind of goes off in tangents and talks about other things. And but I did find a quote from around the eighties from him talking about his stuff he did in the eighties, where he said that he regretted that he did some of the stuff that they were doing, and he was going really, really they were going really hard with it at the moment, and he felt that doing a lot of racist stuff or race based stuff was lazy, and he hates racist people and he hates racism, but. I don't know if that excuses it or even addresses the issue at hand. And I guess, I mean, it makes it ten times worse when you've got, like, you're looking back with the benefit of hindsight in a much more socially conscious time where we are now, looking back at a time when that, you know, we're talking about, you know, over 30 years ago now. It was a different time back then, and some people will argue that looking back at those times with modern sensibilities, you're always going to end up being offended because times were different back then. So what was quite... (laughs) Mad was that this all built up to a big confrontation between Hogan and Piper, which is called the War to Scale the Score. Now, Piper never won the WWF Championship in his entire career, which is something which every single person is like, Piper didn't need the title. Piper never needed to be champion. It doesn't matter that Piper was never champion. Then he cut to Piper, I really wish I was world champion. <laughs> like, he'd wanted to be champion. He just never was. Like Piper and Hogan had a bit of a fucked up history. Like They didn't like each other for the most part. Mm. Hogan in this documentary, if you know, is, took a lot of times to step to one side and go, by the way, he wasn't that important. Seriously, Hogan goes to extra effort to be like, oh yeah, he didn't really influence modern wrestling. Not like I did. Yeah, and he's kind of basically implying that, you know, the first WrestleMania, which is always building towards... It's all thanks to Hulk Hogan. And it's not like, you know, because who gets involved in this? And this is really fucking weird. Mr. T runs out in, in the war to settle the score, which blew your mind um, at the time. You were yeah. jumping up and down and go, what the fuck? Yeah. Did you know that Mr. T was involved in wrestling? Right. So but I only know this because I've been listening back to older episodes of How to Wrestling. But you did actually mention this in Hulk Hogan. Yeah. That there was a feud involving Mr. T. Ah, I see. But when I was watching this, my, my mind was absolutely blown. I was like, how the hell was there any kind of celebrity involvement? Because again, I kind of, I think I told myself that this celebrity involvement didn't exist in wrestling until like the 90s no, this, this was this was Vince McMahon's vision of wrestling involved celebrities yeah. and it's funny I think for Hogan to sit down and kind of go well it wouldn't have been possible with anyone other than me kind of you know Piper wasn't important or for Piper to say 
you know, if it wasn't for me, this whole thing wouldn't have worked all together. Honestly, the only person that whole WrestleMania one main event who could really lay claim to that is Mr. T. Because, or Vince McMahon. Or Vince McMahon. Yeah, those are the two who really made it possible. Yeah. Because I mean, Vince McMahon mortgaged his home to afford this, right? Yeah, and there was like a big, you know, there was a big idea that if WrestleMania wasn't a success, then, you know, that was it. No more WWF. That was, they had put everything on the line for it. The first WrestleMania was really, really massive for that reason and for a number of reasons. But really what got people in that arena, and I really believe this, was yes, it was Mr. T, but these guys were all phony wrestlers. And that phony wrestler, Roddy Piper, who was fucking running his mouth and saying all the shit about, you know, Mr. T and being racist and all this stuff, he's only a phony wrestler. And he's wearing a skirt, no less. Mr. T, however, he's a real-life tough guy. He started the A-Team, Rocky Three. He's a total badass. So people were buying this. Seriously. I don't understand how that works, though. Because <laughs> people oh, had a bit of an... He's an actor, therefore he must be... Proper tough guy. Because T was known as being a real-life tough guy because he was originally a bouncer and a bodyguard and all this stuff. A lot of fans had this bad thing in their mouth from, you know, wrestling thinking it was real in the 50s and 60s and it turns out it's actually all a bit of a it's a bit of a show and Vince had said you know it's sports entertainment at this point wow that's so, early yeah so people were wanting to see this real tough man proper tough guy Mr. T beat up the fake wrestler Roddy Piper and I think that's really what did it so I think you could actually remove Hogan from that equation and put in Jimmy Snuka even and it still would have worked wow. people wanted to see Piper get the shit knocked out of him and for all the weirdness of looking back at the stuff he's did there's no doubt in my mind that Piper incensed people into watching Wrestlemania yeah. 1 and he was a huge huge part of that he was not just a player as uh, Hogan said this led to these two eventually having a boxing match at Wrestlemania 2 which I elected to not show Joe because I like to show Joe wrestling matches and not two men who can't move their fists get increasingly frustrated with each other so why couldn't they do a proper wrestling match then? This is so fucked up. Like it kind of, it's Piper really felt strongly about protecting the wrestling business, as we've discussed for various reasons. And one of the main things Piper was against was the idea of an outsider like Mr. T coming in and making them look bad and then going away. Right. Because then what loses all their credibility? You know, wrestling you know loses credibility as a whole. The original plan for WrestleMania One was for Piper to get pinned by Mr. T. And Piper was like, no fucking way. No way at all. And he wouldn't take proper moves from Mr. T. The idea was Mr. T would beat the shit out of everyone clear house. And in that match, Mr. T did very little of anything. He got beaten up for most of the match. The reason being, Piper argued that if Mr. T comes in and beats up all of us, and then he goes back off and he makes, you know, season nine of the A-Team or whatever, and then left with Hulk Hogan and the guys who got beaten up by the not even a wrestler just came in and we all look like jabronis. So Piper was adamant. He refused to lose to Mr. T. He refused to make Mr. T look good in any way, shape or form. This goes on to a fucking boxing match then and Piper was like, yeah, we got to try and make it look like a shoot. And to do that in a boxing, to do a fake boxing match, that's literally nearly impossible. Like it's to move that quickly, move those heavy gloves. Yeah. No way. And... Piper was training to be a boxer. Mr. T was not really training at the time. And Piper refused to make Mr. T look good. He had one punch and Piper mi he missed Piper hitting it. Piper fucked a stool at him at one point and then just pressed, gave him a body slam and that was it. It was awful. But that actually started people warming towards Piper because Mr. T had lost a bit of his shine at the time. People were sick of him being everywhere. He was on every TV show. You know the way people fall out of favour with, with Hollywood stars. So this kind of started Piper becoming... 
a little bit loved by the fans because you be a good enough bad guy for long enough, you eventually become a good guy in wrestling. Yeah. So Piper always just... It was always viewed that he didn't get on with Mr. T because he refused to do anything to make Mr. T look in any way remotely competent. But I, I can see his point. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's wrong. But it's kind of funny to think that this was a time in wrestling where it's like, no, what you're proposing is bad, so let's go out and do some shit instead. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of the modern way of handling those situations works better, which is having celebrities kind of involved, but not the main part of any match. Yeah, I think they, he was he, he was right to do that, because I think if you just have a good, you know, yeah, as an outsider coming in like that, it will make people look stupid. But when it comes to the point where you're actually destroying the quality of the show, just don't have Mr. T versus Roddy Piper no. then. Well, you could have you just know? had Mr. T like, in the corner with someone else against Roddy Piper yeah. and had the two re- actual wrestlers face off. Yeah, do a wrestling match as opposed yeah. to like, oh, gee. And like, the whole thing was such a calamity because he said that they taped his his hands in the boxing gloves. So when he was falling out of the ring, he couldn't grab on even. Oh so it was really God. dangerous. Even the little basic stuff that they were doing was really, really hard. So it was a complete fiasco. So essentially, what Piper did this time and it was really smart. Many people have done it since. And people don't really point to Piper as being the originator. But he retired. 1987, Piper's like, yep, yeah, I'm retiring. I'm off. And See you later. And how was he at this point? Would have been mid-30s or thereabouts. Okay. So Piper said he was retiring. And I don't think anyone believed him at the time. But Piper went off, basically, because he had offers to do movies. Uh, WrestleMania 3, John Carpenter, around that time, approached him. Said he wanted him to be in a movie. Movie called They Live, which happens to be my fucking favorite movie of all time from John Carpenter. One of my all-time favorite sci-fi's. It's like everything that is right about eighty cinema. We watched They Live. I mean, what are your thoughts on They Live, Joe? Oh, it's fucking awesome. It's really, really cool. It's a great movie. He was quoted as saying Roddy Piper like a few years later that you know it was a documentary, like because you know about how modern world kind of is kind of mimicking <laughs> the weirdness of They Live. I love how relevant They Live is today, even more so than when it came out. I think, yeah, it's actually, if anything, it's more relevant now yeah. than it would have been back in the 80s. But the famous scene from that, which is the amazing fight scene where Keith David and Rowdy Roddy Piper kick the veritable shit out of each other for around seven or eight minutes, they rehearsed that for like something like five months. Jesus. And this is what I love most about it. You know where they rehearsed it? In John Carpenter's back garden. <laughs> What? Yeah, they rehearsed the whole thing. The Keith David, John Carpenter, and Roddy Piper, they rehearsed the whole thing. And they wanted to make it look like a proper fight. And that's like one of the greatest fight scenes ever because it's not like glitzy and glamorous. It's like Piper. Like wrestling. Yeah, it's like Piper and Valentine's two lads beating the shit out of each other. This is John Carpenter's like dream, isn't it? Because he was a wrestling fan. He was, like, yeah, yeah. Hmm, what, how can I get my own Roddy Piper personal wrestling match in my own backyard? I know. <laughs> I'll create a Hollywood blockbuster. Basically, They Live is just like a weekend party that got out of hand at the Carpenters, basically. <laughs> there was a lot of good wine going around. Guys got a little bit antsy, you know, a little bit of cocaine. <laughs> Before you know it, Keith David's getting back suplexed in a pair of sunglasses is forcefully put on his face what I found most shocking about this um, this film though was I didn't realise that the phrase I'm here to kick ass and chew bubblegum and I'm all out of bubblegum because I've heard that throughout my life so you heard that before yeah, we did yeah, any yeah. Piper Doesn't stuff Duke Nukem say it he does yeah <laughs> yeah I always assumed it was from Duke Nukem or something like that I had no idea that it was from Roddy Piper himself in They Live like that was his idea and the best thing about it is that like the story for ages was that, oh, he just came up with it on, on the fly. But I think the real story was that Piper gave 
John Carpenter his notebook, which is full of his old promo ideas. Yeah, it was all full of wrestling promos. Could you imagine what it would be like to read through that? Be gold. <laughs> gold. And I think it, that was one of the lines that ended up going in there. I think it's fucking brilliant. Like, So, so They Live was like... Piper's first big movie, and honestly, his only real proper big, big movie. He's in been a lot of B-movie trash since then, you know. He's been in a lot of straight-to-DVD gold. He's been in, like, big stuff as well, though, because, like, he was in It's Always Sunny. He was in It's Always Sunny, that's true. He was the maniac, you know. <laughs> Foraging for chestnuts. Yeah. A little bit too real, that, uh, that character. <laughs> he was like, I'm going to go grease myself up. Um, but... He was also in Hell Comes to Frogtown and a lot of like kind of B movie stuff. And like Piper was the first one to say that look, a lot of the time he was doing it, he was doing it for for paychecks and because mm. he was good at it and because he had a name, not necessarily because he thought it was the work of art. He was quite disparaging of a lot of his movie stuff when when I saw him, but he said Day Live was like he thought it was one of the most important things that he did and he was most proud of. I think it's just fucking brilliant. If you've not seen Day Live, oh watch it. Guys, seriously, it Just is the like top it. of your list. And yeah, I think Match of the Night would definitely have to go to Roddy Piper versus Keith David in that back lot. Like. It's anti-capitalism. It's got skeletons. It's got uh, conspiracy theories. And Roddy Piper wearing sunglasses and having a wrestling match. What's not to love? And who are you, my little fella? Mama don't like tattletales. I fucking love Roddy Piper in this movie. It's fucking a <laughs> kick-ass movie. And it even gets more and more relevant with each yeah. passing day, I think. So at this point, when They Live sort of came out, had any other wrestlers at that point left to become <laughs> actors? Well, Hulk Hogan went off to make No Holes Barred in 1984, where Hogan insisted on making a movie and made Vince McMahon pay for it and said that if it lost any money, he'd pay him back every single cent, and he never did, because it lost loads of money. Wow. Essentially, the McMahons have always had a troubled relationship with wrestlers going off to do movies. Um, Hogan's promoter, way back in the day, hated Hogan going off to do Rocky Three. thought it would expose the business, and it was bad. And the reality was, it made Hogan a massive superstar. Vince knew that Piper was getting on in years, and was maybe not as important in 87 as he was in 83 or 84, but even still, he didn't want him going off and getting his independence essentially and Piper always resented a lot of promoters for that which is if you know there's whiff of you getting money or getting your own way or getting successful on your own they try and pull you back in or put your roadblocks in your way McMahon offered Piper the same amount of money to go and do a movie that he had found instead of They Live and I think Piper was smart enough to realise look I can keep McMahon sweet make the same money do this shitty movie that will be forgotten and make me a punchline like Hogan in no holes barred or I can go off with John Carpenter Piper was took the smart money and when he did this and kind of was able to make a career out of it I think the reality of it was this was that Piper knew that if he was there all the time it wasn't going to mean a lot but if he went and he took a break as Jim Cornette famously said we can't miss you if you don't go away and Piper would go away sometimes for a few months sometimes for a few years and he would come back and it was like oh Piper's back as as if Piper was under a rock, he knew he was off making movies, being on TV shows, making his roads in Hollywood, and he would come back to wrestling. And that's what was most important, is that he would come back. Mm. Ronnie Piper was the prototype part-timer, I guess. Wow. You know, like guys who do it now. Like He's basically Brock Lesnar, except that instead of sitting at home counting his big stacks of money and shooting fruit with his AK-47, he's off you know, working in Hollywood. One of the times he came back, though, it was for not such a great angle, and one which, I mean, we've had the big chat about race and Piper, but here it is again. It's Bad News Brown and Roddy Piper painting himself half black, 
half white, as Jim Ross expertly tries to navigate these tricky racial waters. Was Roddy Piper saying that this issue is as clear as black and white? No, he fucking wasn't. He's half blackface. It's not good, ever. There's never a good time to do it. Nope. And the only thing I can say in defense of Roddy Piper is that there was full blackface done in wrestling by white wrestlers as recent as 2006. No, are you serious? Yep. Fucking hell. You know what? 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 I'm sorry, 2006? 2006. Which is when this... Documentary, documentary came, came out. out not in all... this company, not in this company, mind. Another company, though, that had national TV and okay. had guys do it on national like, TV, this, though. This documentary, like, to be fair to the documentary's makers, like, some bits they've kind of glossed over, but this one, at least, they were like, this was bad. He should not have done it. It's so fucked up reading up about this, because this is the one thing, when Piper does get asked about the racism of the 80s, or if he gets a chance, it's always this, this I'm, bit here. I think the reason that is is because it makes no sense as an angle. It he's does, a face. Yeah. He's not Yeah, he's the good guy as well. To be doing... Like, you can't... There's no excusing it. There's literally no angle you can come from this and be like, yeah, well, blah, 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 blah. No. I watch... For, for he, the things I do for wrestling, Pop Oaks, I watch all of Roddy Piper's segments and interviews that lead up to this. And Piper's excuse for this always was... Bad News Brown was a lousy wrestler and this was a feud for Wrestlemania which meant he had to do like 30 interviews to build it up all along the way and this was not, not like nowadays where if you and I are going to wrestle at Wrestlemania we'll probably have a couple of matches we'll beat each other up beforehand back in those days like you and I will wrestle at Wrestlemania and we will see each other at Wrestlemania you mm. know so Piper his excuse was that I had to think outside the box because here I've got a lousy wrestler and I think of a way to make this angle hot and relevant. This is so fucking, this is such not a good excuse. But anyway, he said at the time that he was inspired by Nelson Mandela. Because Nelson Mandela, who had just been released from prison because under apartheid he'd been kept in jail for many, many years in a white man's jail. And he said that every day the jailkeeper came in or the guard came in, Nelson Mandela stood up and he put his hand out to shake the guard's hand because he said, I don't see race I don't see colour, you are my brother, and I'm trying to do that. So Piper here, what he's saying was that I don't see race, I don't see colour, you're the one who's making this a racial issue. I know lots of, quote, beautiful black men out there. Uh, Piper quoting Nelson Mandela, uh, and he says, I know my, you know, I don't see colour. He didn't reference black power at one point, uh, saying that they were on his side. And oh, Roddy! Oh, Roddy, this is fucking awkward. Roddy, you're killing me now, okay? You're really, you're making this... And, like, especially considering he says that he himself considers racial angles to be lazy. Mm. And, like, this is Roddy Piper. It's a man who is clearly intelligent. He clearly can pull a promo out of his arse on any subject that he wants. Hell, Frankie Williams, or whatever his name was, he managed to pull a huge angry promo out just based on the fact that that guy had lost in the home his home state many times you can do that and you have to then rely on half blackface to- I think and Piper as well like he was going like the whole time you know, I don't see colour man we don't have to talk about those awkward issues so we'll just say we don't see race instead that's easier and the reality of this is that you know Roddy Piper claimed he didn't see colour in this Bad News Brown did and Bad News Brown was not comfortable with this angle he thought it was racist Rude, so, he did, so he did he did talk like about it. it yeah he, he hated it now you know Bad News like he he 
was it was known for basically like not getting on with with most of the wrestlers and being kind of very unkept to himself and all that and never has anything like kind of good or positive to say about his time in wrestling. Cause, I wonder if that might be because he was a black I, I wrestler in a very why. racist industry. But like the reality of it is, is that Piper and half blackface, yeah, it no, nope, nope, absolutely not. And the fact as well that when he's doing it, he's doing a Michael Jackson dance. Oh, as well. What the fuck is that like? You know. And the reason why I always I, I struggle with this is because I've seen so many interviews where they're like, I want you grew up watching you as a kid and you did this half blackface thing and this is really fucked up. Can you tell me about that? And he goes, well, huh, Andre the Giant and Marty Skolan, they hide away the solution that I meant to ha, use to get all the black off me. And I'm now in the shower. I'm in the sauna for three weeks trying to get it. Oh, no, Roddy, what a funny anecdote about not being able to get it off. I've forgotten about the fact that you were in half... I mean, yes, you've got some funny anecdotes about it, but that's the only time you'd ever really talk about it. And I mean, I think... You can just be like, I grabbed the wrong end of the stick. This Seriously? was wrong. Look, all he would have to do is be like, you know about my history, right? I am a troubled person with various mental illnesses and I have made big mistakes in my career, of which this is one of many. I think Piper never reached that point. And I, I, and I realise as well, to get to that point actually takes a bit of support and encouragement and a community that is healthy and wholesome and would encourage that. No, I didn't get that a lot of times in the world of wrestling. You probably didn't get that. Still doesn't excuse it, though. No. I will say, though, I do think it is a rather apt punishment that he had to scrape off <laughs> the black Sharpie ink or whatever it was until his skin tore and bled. Like, I, if anything's going to make you reflect on your yeah, decision to use Maybe that wasn't face, a good idea. You know, you take a long fucking hard think about that. I only wish that it had been Bad News Brown who had gotten to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it says something that Piper never did blackface again after that. Did he learn his lesson? Like, Probably you know, the wrong lesson he learned there. Probably, uh, yeah. yeah. Coming up next, we watched one of my all-time favourite matches and one that was really, really heavily requested, mainly because Piper um, is not known for having, like, Matt classics, but this is viewed as being his best wrestling match, which is him defending his Intercontinental Championship, the only belt he ever held at that time, against Bret the Hitman Hart. I love this match from WrestleMania 8 because it's got good guy Roddy against good guy Bret Hart. And he gets introduced, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yow! <laughs> I... Love the story of this match. It's a really simple story. You've got Roddy Piper, who's the veteran. He's got the belt. Bret Hart, he's won the belt before. He's the upcoming star. He wants it back. And they know each other very well. Piper's like making out that they were like grew up together, essentially. And Piper's going to you know, put up the biggest fight as he can to hold on to this belt. And throughout the match, you just see the story is that Piper's temper gets tested because Piper is still in his heart. You worry that kind of, that rule breaker, the guy who's going to do anything, the rowdy, roddy Piper of old. And there's so many moments in this where it's like Piper feels like the cracks are showing, like Brett gets the better of him in an exchange. So he just goes, ah, and he spits on him. Or like Brett like outsmarts him and he freaks out, gets really upset. I fucking love this match. What I didn't like though is when Roddy's coming out, that really creepy Rowdy Roddy Piper doll that's in the crowd. The mm. really scary one. I posted it on our Instagram page. If you're not following us, How To Wrestling on the old Instagram, videos and pics out the wazoo. You can see me slowly lose my mind with wrestling figures there. But that creepy Roddy Piper doll, I'm genuinely having nightmares about at the moment. Oh shit, because I, I found it on eBay for 20 quid. <laughs> no. And your birthday's next No! Week. 
No! It'll... I just well... put it in the bed and you can come home one day, get into bed, it will be there. No, it'll cut mean promos on us and come to life. Yeah. That thing chasing me with a pair of scissors is literally like... <laughs> ah! <laughs> no, I don't want that. I'm going to find a big pile of cocaine. The doll's going to burst out of it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Roddy is constantly tested in this match to be that kind of, that nasty heel. Brett gets busted open hard at one point, starts bleeding out the wazoo. Was he bleeding? This is funny you asked that, because at this time it was, this was PG WWF at the time. You, uh, you weren't allowed to bleed. You could do blackface if it was half, but you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't bleed, like, you know. Right. Black boot polish, that's okay. Red blood, no, that's wrong. So you were forbidden from doing a blade job. But if you accidentally got busted open, it was okay. So what happened in this match was that Brett expertly made himself bleed, making it look like it was an accident by getting punched right above that eyebrow, a old hard way. You get punched there hard, the eyebrow will split, you get a big load of blood. It looks like it's an accident. So they got away with it. That's uh, blood going out without a blade there. That's blood via human knuckles. It's what we've got there. Piper's kicks are pretty weak, I've noticed. Yeah, he's all about the punches, but when we get down yeah. to the kicks. The kicks are weak. It, his punches, though, are scary. He hits Brett at one point in this match, and it's fucking just it's clocks. terrifying. <laughs> I just, it must have been a shoot punch. Piper was known for throwing potatoes left, right, and center. Mm. And one of the reasons why that boxing stuff got over is that Andre the Giant was a friend of his. And when Piper first wrestled in WWF, he had a lot of trouble getting over because he was a smaller guy, but Andre sold for the boxing, which, you know, Andre never sold for anyone. So everyone was like, oh shit, Piper's got golden gloves, fast hands. You know, the reality was he lived in a YMCA for a few years as a kid, so he had some boxing training. But yeah, you catch a couple of them stray shots with those fast flurries. I would not like to be in the ring there. It's a very big chance that Piper just punched Brett for real in the face and gave I him that cut. He did, yeah. <laughs> now, the bit that I loved. And harkens back to an innocent time, much more innocent time, when the fans were a lot more innocent, a lot more gullible, when Roddy Piper inadvertently bumps into the ref, and then he thinks, ooh, I might be able to cheat. Now these days, if a heel does anything remotely heelish, the fans all chant yes and go, yay, do the bad thing. Piper raises up the bell over his head, and you can actually hear children crying. Mm-hmm. You can hear screaming, crying. No, Roddy! Please, no! Oh my God, he's gonna kill Brett Hart! Were you surprised by, like, the innocence of the fans at the time, or...? No, because in the documentary, he says that he probably could have, like, killed him with that bell. <laughs> That's true. They probably. look heavy as they are. well. The bell is the uh, hardest part of the ring, in case those of you keeping score at home, like... And, know. like, we already know that Roddy Piper has a scary habit of attacking people at random... <laughs> And not knowing what Yeah, he was going to kill Morton Danny Jr. with the fucking uh, the fire extinguisher. Yeah. Roddy, no! Jimmy Snuffer with the coconut, I'm just saying. He's got a reputation. Seriously, like, didn't go into business for himself. But uh, he gets to sleep a whole lot into Brett, which Brett does a runs up the ropes, goes back onto his, uh, onto his shoulders and manages to pin Roddy for the championship. Now, that's interesting for two reasons. Number one, Rowdy Roddy Piper's finishing manoeuvre, Joe, was... The sleeper holds. Piper just usually just put them in a regular sleeper hold, standing, and they would go to sleep. And yeah, he that would win. seems really strange. Isn't it? Yeah. Like, 
Because Hogan always said he regretted making his finisher be the leg drop because he had to jump on his butt every night and yeah. basically he had to give himself hip surgery and claims he lost a few inches Is to that height. the only reason Roddy Piper was wrestling as long as he did is because his finisher is... Wow. If, fuck me. If my fin- if I was into wrestling, I'd be going for the cross-face chicken wing or the sleeper hold. Yeah, easy on the knees. Love it. <laughs> Seriously, Roddy Piper could pop that sleeper in even when he was like, you know, in his 50s. He could just go, bam, sleeper, and people would pop for Piper doing the sleeper. No bump, doesn't have to go on his back, doesn't have to leave his feet. It's fucking perfect. Wouldn't work for a lot of wrestlers. Dolph Ziggler tried to get the sleeper over at one point. Really? He did successfully for around about a year. They put it over strong. But I love simple moves getting put over. I think Dean Ambrose could pull it off. The sleeper hold. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Piper... Getting pinned here was actually the first time he got pinned on camera in his entire WWF run. And Piper, very strangely, almost never lost, like, at all. He lost to Jimmy Snuka once on one of the house shows that they did. But 99.999% of the time in WWF, Piper either lost in a double disqualification, count out, match gets thrown off, or Piper won. Piper did not get beaten. How come he never had the belt then? Because... Hogan only defended the belt against Piper one time in WWF and one time in WCW. And any other times, it was just, you know, ended a double DQ. That was it. Wow. So that made it weird because Piper refused point blank to ever lose to Hogan. No, never, ever, ever. And can you imagine that these days if you had a top heel who's like, under no circumstances, and Kevin Owens goes, I am not going to lose to Roman Reigns, no matter what. <laughs> of course you fucking are, like. Do your job. It's so strange yeah. to think that Piper, he was in a position because he was so strong, a lot of the business hinged on him that he could say, not losing tonight. I mean, I suppose you would still get that now. I mean, you might still get that now with people like Brock Lesnar or The Undertaker yeah, or Triple maybe. H, but big guys. You'd have to pay him big, but Piper yeah. was just like, no, my value goes. And it's not just Piper, it was Hogan, a lot of guys at the time. Yeah. And that's why if you watch like a full WrestleMania from back in the day, the 80s or 90s, early 90s, it's like 20 matches on the card, like two of them have got to finish. The rest of them is all like DQ, count out. Oh, they've thrown this one out, ref. You know, it's just... I ain't fucking losing yeah. to him. I ain't fucking losing to him. That's just the way it was. And wow. It's easy to get yourself over as a big star and if you're never going to fucking lose. I guess so. So this match with Roddy Piper breaking everyone's heart but then being a good boy but then losing his belt and craning Brett, putting it on him one stood at a time. What do you think of this one then? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. There was um, It was some awkward lumbering moves yeah these guys aren't very good at getting out of the ring were they they kind of bounced against the ropes so many times not just that but like both Roddy mainly was worse for this but like the occasional kick looking weak Mm. some punches that missed whiffs yeah it was a little bit awkward but I'd say for the storytelling it's worth worth watching so I gave it 3.5 stars nice does your star rating go up to 5 or is there a 6 star in there much like Dave Meltzer it's it's 5 officially but who knows where this may lead you might just go into Just Eat territory and have that 6 star there exactly (laughs) Dave Meltzer and just eat flying in the face of star rating you know established <laughs> ruling everywhere so Piper went away again for a bit as he did went off and made some other movies uh, less good than they live and then came back again and really went back just to this point in 96 
And this is an interesting point in wrestling time. This is a couple of months before Austin does Austin 316 and before the Attitude Era starts to kind of get ushered in. This is when we're in the, the depths of the Dark Ages when WWE has been rocked by scandals and all the big stars leaving. And even though Hogan and Savage and all these guys had left, Piper, when he would come back, he would still, you know, come back to WWF. He was quite loyal at the time. So we got to see next a match which was really massively requested for being kind of really far ahead of its time and being really unique and being fucking crazy as shit. WrestleMania 12, Roddy Roddy Piper taking on the enigmatic Goldust in a Hollywood backlot brawl. And the story of this one is that Goldust loves Roddy Roddy Piper and essentially admits to his entire teenage years growing up being infatuated with Roddy Piper, even at one point saying, and when you smashed the coconut over Jimmy Snooker's head, I had an explosion of my own, like. So basically saying he's having a, doing a wank to Roddy Piper promos back in the day. Okay. Goldust is obviously going to be his own episode. Obviously. <laughs> How strange did you find Goldust here for being a wrestling character? I find, because I, I know like nothing about Goldust, which is weird because he's a current wrestler. You see him pop up now and then playing Pokemon Go. And yeah, like... <laughs> that's basically what I know him for. He, he plays Pokemon Go. So his whole character is like just really weird to me. Like I don't mm. know what it's supposed to be. He's like a gold alien <laughs> that is sexual. <laughs> and I can't tell what his sexuality is because like he always hangs out with that woman in the gold dress. Yeah. But he always seems to be flirting with male wrestlers it's really so is yeah. it like bisexual like? kind of they, they, they try to have their cake and eat it with the goldest character all the time I mean like the official line was that he was like an androgynous character who yeah. like used that and got on the heads of the male wrestlers by like coming on to them but at the same time you know I think it was that he was meant to be bisexual because they did a thing where Marlene's wife was like, oh yeah, like, you know, we have sex all the time, like, yeah. you know. But then he would do things with his opponents where to get into their head. And essentially what it was is that WWE, in playing side at the time, were like, we know that loads of male fans would be totally uncomfortable with this. We know that loads of male fans are massively homophobic. Yeah. We want to tap into that market. They're basically, like, there's a base instinct with a load of our audience, which is like, oh, no, get away, don't kiss me. And then Goldust is like, I'm going to kiss you. And Roddy Piper's like, ah, no. And then we've got a feud kind of on the basis of that. So definitely a unique gimmick, Goldust, and definitely one I can't wait to look at in, in full detail. So, the whole point in this match is that originally they wanted to have Roddy Piper fight, and I'm not shitting you, this is something they genuinely wanted to do, to have him fight O.J. Simpson, who uh, obviously was in the public consciousness for all the wrong reasons at Who's this point in time. Whose fucking great idea was that then? Uh, Vince McMahon just thought oh, it was a great well, of idea. of course it was. Yeah, so they didn't do that, thank God, but they did manage to allude uh, <laughs> to it heavily by having Roddy Piper chase Goldust, who is driving in a gold Cadillac, which I must admit... If there's ever a time where wrestlers have got vehicles that match their gimmick, I love that a lot. <laughs> Unfortunately, Roddy Piper was not in a tartan Cadillac. He mm. was in a white Bronco. So he got the obvious fucking nod of the car driving down the highway. Didn't get any police cars in there, though. No. <laughs> fucking it's ridiculous. It starts off in an industrial estate, which, by the way, this match is exactly what I thought a street match would be. A street fight, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, is that not the... It's called a street fight, not a street match. Street fight, not a street match. So it becomes a fight when it's outside, but it's a match when it's in the ring. Oh, no, there's not... No, street match is something you've just... Uh, you've, you've come up with. You can, oh, okay. Street match could be a new thing that you can uh, have wow. the patent on. All right, yeah. Street fight is 
usually just when people use weapons. But yeah, what we have here is officially a Hollywood backlot brawl. But, that but he's is definitely... in jeans. He is. He's wearing jeans. He is. Where's his kilt gone? Unfortunately, Goldust is not wearing the denim cat suit, which would probably make I it think a street it'd have been fight. great if he'd like worn the cat suit and a pair of jeans over the top, and then Roddy had worn his kilt and a jeans underneath, <laughs> and it could have been a street fight. Roddy has rocked that look before, though. He's come out with the kilt and taken off to have jeans when he's like, you know, special guest referee, and like, yeah, he's yeah. not really. Scared. Gosh, that's how you can tell. <laughs> this match is fucking chaos. It starts off with Piper literally standing in an industrial state with a baseball bat. Goldust drives in in his gold car. Piper hoses the car down. God knows why. That's not going to do anything. <laughs> to make, the only reason why is to make it slippery, muddy, and more dangerous. Yeah. That's all it does because they're on the hood Helpful. of the car and they're going... <laughs> then he beats up the car with the baseball bat. He nearly kills Goldust by swinging to miss him but then actually hitting him with the end of the handle of the baseball yeah. bat. He hoses Goldust down. It looks fucking freezing where they are. It looks cold, wet, miserable. I feel really bad for Goldust because he's only wearing like a cat suit. Yeah, of all the, and those poor gloves as well. And of all the things to wrestle in, this yeah. is the most cumbersome. Like, meanwhile, Piper gets to wear jeans and a leather jacket, nice and cozy. I imagine he's got the John Wick special lining in there as yeah. well, so he can reflect all the shots. So yeah, beats the shit out of poor Goldust, and then Goldust uh, gets in the car and drives over Roddy Piper. So this is pretty much like, I like to think that Vince watched They Live and is like, fuck it, let's just do it with Goldust. Because this is pretty, unless there's a pair of sunglasses in here, this is pretty much the same level of lads beating the shit out of each other. And Goldust is like, he's got gold paint and blood and dirt and mud and they zip off in their cars and they drive away. They come back to the ring where Goldust works over Roddy Piper with sexy antics. Now, you've often asked, kind of, hey, where's the male bra and panties matches? You know, where's the salacious sexual male matches? Yeah. This is as close as we get here, because we've got Roddy getting kissed by Goldust. Mm. Then Goldust, you know, incenses Roddy by doing that. He then fires up, and then he does a little kiss on Goldust back. And it gets very confusing. Very confusing. Like, what the message is here. So... Roddy, because I thought Roddy was really like, homophobic and he hates Goldust kissing him. Because he says, I'm going to make a man out of yeah, you. Yeah, but then like. he kisses him. He gives him a little kiss, he does. And this is after Goldust goes for the powerbomb where he puts his hand all over his butt as well. Yeah, you know? give him a butt rub. Get a handful of jeans. Yeah. And then Roddy uh, strips him off his clothes. Why does he do that? And then the bell just rings. There's no pinfall, so... I'm guessing the rules of a Hollywood backlog brawl, unwritten as they may be, are the first wrestler to strip their opponent down to their bra and panties will be declared the winner. And I guess the one we have to ask is, did Piper have suspenders and stockings on underneath those jeans? We may never know, Joe. I mean, I just assume he did. That's Goldust's debut WrestleMania match. First match at WrestleMania. Wow. Wrestling a legend like Roddy Piper in the most uncomfortable yeah, gear imaginable. I'm just saying, what, thong... He's got like suspender belt. Weird kind of garter. dominatrix garter thing. It had it had hooks. He's got like a corset thing on as well. All of those pieces of clothing on their own are fucking uncomfortable as shit, right? You're wrestling in. And then you're wrestling in them in the cold, wet, under a cat suit, <laughs> which are also very uncomfortable. I have endless respect for Goldust there. What a weird-ass match. And, uh, yeah, Roddy gets the win, and he gets two kisses as well. So, um, what did you think of the Hollywood backlog brawl? It was a- fucking weird. <laughs> weird. 
we I'm so looking forward to how to Goldust, but I'm just imagining that every match of his now involves him being stripped down to his pants and bra. I don't as far as I know that's the only one I can remember where where that happens, like I'm surprised Piper didn't let us give him a smack on the butt, kinda like sexy Oh, naughty boy. He did grab his willy at one point, remember? He did grab his he willy. Got a good, yeah. He got a grab the old meat and two veg and he gave it a, a clutch, didn't he? Yeah. Obviously, Goldus had not been taught the secret move by Joey Ryan. He's had to, Flex. you know, just think back to Jimmy Snooker getting hit with a coconut, overpower him using the, the dong. I am disappointed that this is the closest I'm going to get to a male bra and panties match, though. It's not what I wanted. No, I mean, he'd have this or he can have, I mean, Paul Heyman and Jim Cornette once wrestled in a equivalent of a brawn panties match, but I mean, they're not exactly hunks, are they? No. Goldus as well, commitment to the gimmick, gold paint, head to toe. Yeah, another Seriously. layer of uncomfort. The things that man does. Seriously. I gave it three out of five stars. It's a weird match. If you want to see an instance of how strange wrestling matches could be back in 1996... <laughs> evidence of what came before the Attitude Era but still kind of similar very this like is such like kind of a very very yeah, similar yeah harken to what the Attitude Era was going to be at the time just before we move on I wanted to ask what was Goldust and Roddy Piper's relationship in real life like did they get on or as far as I know they did okay. I know that Goldust was like he was under a lot of pressure because this was like a high profile match at the time because this was you know when wrestling the stars at the time you know Shawn Michaels and Diesel weren't exactly like bring them in millions of people Roddy Piper still had a lot of name value Goldust was kind of an unknown so I know there's a lot of pressure on him for this match you know for it to be pulled off and everyone was really happy with it and he was held in quite high regard for having this this match as far as I know they got on I've never heard anything to the contrary of that but Roddy's promos were just so convincing I genuinely believed he hated them yeah Piper can turn on that switch I guess but yeah. I mean to be honest, with Piper as a heel in the 80s with doing the race bait and stuff, you know, him kind of just like bringing people in that way. When Piper was a face, a lot of his stuff was kind of, you know, it was that homophobic stuff, that kind of gay bashing kind of, you know, oh, you're not a man, I'm a man, I'm going to show Which you what a man's all about. so weird considering his early days in wrestling when he first started wearing a kilt and everyone was like, you're not a real man because you wear a skirt. And it's like, there's odd parallels odd here. Odd parallels there. Uh, but nothing learned from them. No, I guess not. But I mean, it's again, it's it's a not just Roddy thing. It's a wrestling at the time. Yeah. They went full on with that. You know, if you were a feminist and you were, you know, not straight, that was viewed as being like a thing that you could get heat off of, you know. So Piper, like so many of his contemporaries in the late 90s, ended up being hoovered up and sent into WCW, who were just basically throwing away big money and Piper didn't have a contract with WWF at the time WCW were like yo you want a couple million dollars all right and the reason they brought him back was to do Icon versus Icon him versus Hogan after Hogan had turned heel they brought him in did the whole storyline of the roles being reversed now Piper was the face Hogan was the heel Piper did beat Hulk Hogan finally he managed to beat him clean but it was a match that was not for the title and then when they had their match for the title Hogan beat Piper clean oh of course so you could view this as being like a big 1980s circle jerk and here we are in the late 90s when you got The Rock and Austin all these new names coming in you've got these two old boys from you know over 10 years ago doing the same L fucking gimmick except they're 100 times slower and sucking wind everywhere not something that I was a fan of and he had a lot of problems in WCW with the younger generation he felt that the likes of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and... Uh, so weird to think of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash The younger, the generation, younger generation. I know, right? But there are all these horror stories of, like, 
them being like, you know, who the fuck are you, old man, and refusing to sell for him, and him being like, no, the finish of the match tonight is I win, and, you know, I beat up all you guys in, you know, two minutes, and there's a bad story where they had a tag match, it was meant to go, like, 15 minutes, and after three minutes, Piper called for the finish, and it was for them to win, and it was just because he felt he was being disrespected, and he was paranoid, he was paranoid, he didn't get on, he didn't have that nice relationship with the promoter maybe that he did have with people in the past and he didn't feel comfortable there. It ended up just being like not a nice time and I think a lot of the stuff of Piper and WCW is just kind of... He had creative control, we mentioned that before. Yeah. Where wrestlers allowed to do whatever they want to and as a result of that he just did a lot of boring, meandering shit. Mm. Including in his build-up to his big match with Hulk Hogan, Roddy Piper thought it would be great to show him getting into the mindset of... You know, wanted to fight Hulk Hogan, he was going to get himself locked in Alcatraz prison. What? Yeah, he said, lock me in Alcatraz What's prison. What's that to do with Hulk Hogan's mind? Because you have to be in the headspace, you have to get in there, I want to fight Hulk Has Hogan. Has Hulk Hogan been to Alcatraz? No, but I Has think... Has Hulk Hogan been to prison? No, but I think it was like a metaphorical jail as well as a literal jail. Of course it there was. There is yeah. a great scene of Roddy Piper in the... It was decommissioned at this point, Alcatraz, folks. It wasn't an actual prison of Roddy Piper being let out of Alcatraz and him literally running through the courtyard going, ha In his kill going, ah free like it's the end of Shawshank Redemption wow so like I think a big criticism of Piper around this time is that he took himself too fucking seriously yeah but again loads of guys from the 80s struggled with that new crop of guys coming in they didn't like it at all it was around this time as well and Piper's struggles with the new generation and I think a lot of his struggles with him becoming you know less relevant at times and there was a lot of dark shit happening in wrestling at the time. And there were a lot of wrestlers dying young. We got to see Piper's interview with HBO where, Jesus Christ, it was depressing. Oh, oh. And this is kind of like the difficulty with covering Piper is that there's one moment you'll talk to Piper and he's like, you know, everyone's great, man. Oh, you know, my family, you know, I love wrestling. I love the WWE. You know, this man's been so good to me. And then you get like instances like this where it's like, just the darkest fucking outlook. He is talking about everyone dying, promoters riding wrestlers until they drop. Everyone's out to get all the wrestlers. This is a fucking horrible, poisonous business. I mean, he's clearly a man who's struggled with depression and like. I would be surprised if it wasn't more severe than just depression mm, as well. A lot of the times about Piper having such bad relations with people, and I remember Piper coming back at WrestleMania 19, like, oh my god, he goes Piper. Couple weeks later, off you go. No, Piper, persona non grata. He will never be in this fucking company again. Then two years later, hey, Piper's back. Hall of Fame way. Isn't Piper great? He's a big part of the family. And it's, you know, he went back and forth on him there a lot of times about his view on on wrestling and WWE. He didn't have the nicest relationship with Vince a lot of the times. I think he resented him a lot of times. And I don't know if Roddy could honestly give you a straight answer about what he felt about the wrestling business and WWE and Vince McMahon. I imagine he was a very confused man in that respect. There's probably a lot of conflicting thoughts and emotions there mm. in terms of, yeah, it's it's his family. It's what raised him. It's what provided him with uh, you know, ways to afford to eat and have a roof over his head. But mm. in other respects, you know, all the abuse, yeah. all the hazing. And I think Piper as well, I mean, we mentioned the ear, but Piper... You know, you've been in a career, he was wrestling for pretty much 30 years and, you know, quite a big schedule sometimes. And even though he left and came back a lot, 
you're talking about a guy who had you know hip transplants broke his legs broke his ankles broke his wrists you know he broke everything he could fucking yeah. break he was a man who was sore and he couldn't touch his retirement you know he was always a big vocal proponent of the fact that wrestlers you know once you're in your 40s or your 50s that's it you're on the scrap heap and there you say there's no retirement plan for wrestlers and Piper you know he had a lot of retirement funds and all that but he couldn't access them until he was in his 60s oh jeez and he's kind of you know he felt a lot of the time that he had to go out there and he had to wrestle and he had to do the stuff and I kind of feel bad for him in that front I mean it's nice now it always warms my heart when I hear you know in NXT that they teach the guys how to open a fucking pension how to save your money how to budget how to make sure you've got enough money coming in you don't just blow all your money how to make sure your money is safe you know piper when he was in his early 20s was making you know like half a million dollars what half a million dollars no family no real close friends no home per se on the roads 350 days a year with the likes of rick flair and fucking everyone else you know that money was just going straight on that was you know the 80s when partying was a big thing in wrestling so you know, a lot of Piper's demons as well, you got to bear in mind, is that he's a guy who had some real rough times, but he was he was going hard on the old drugs. Yeah. You know, there are stories of people coming into a hotel room with a king-size bed and a mound of cocaine just gets opened up onto it and just shoved it into their faces. They went hard back in those 1980s and those 1970s. I'm so glad wrestling's not like that anymore. Seriously. Oh, I think of all my nice boys... With horrible drug addictions. I mean, you know, there's people who are like, kind of, ah, oh, you know, wrestling used to be like when real tough guys used to go out and party. Now they just all play video games. <laughs> How dare they have long, healthy careers, hopefully, and families. I like that Xavier Woods has got a million subscribers on YouTube as opposed to squandered a million dollars on cocaine. And yeah. that's probably not an exaggeration. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm so happy that, like, you know, wrestlers have learned from that old style of... That, that lifestyle was so fucking harsh. I'm really glad, most of all, even more so than, like, learning that it's bad, but, like, the fact that there was this culture back then of, like, oh, you're not a real man unless mm. you partake in the partying and the drugs and the long fucking rough hours. Yeah. I mean, look, at, you know, look back at Mr. Perfect. Yeah. And one thing I always say, oh, so, it's so sad that Piper passed when he did. I think before he had a chance to really give back in the ways that he could have given back. But I was always really happy that, you know, when this DVD came out and, I, you know, Piper was able to come on and do cool segments. And, you know, Piper could still do Piper's Pit here and there and give back and mean stuff to fans. I was so happy that he got that, you know, he was able to do that as opposed to some of the wrestlers from the 80s like Rick Rude or Mr. Perfect. It was just, boom, they're gone. Yeah. Cocaine overdose, that's it, the end. And you never get to learn, you know, about them or them get to reflect. Piper doing Piper's Pit with Stone Cold Steve Austin, for instance, was a segment we watched. So cool. That's so lovely just to see him. Like, that's what people loved about Piper, him being able to do that, just slapping Steve Austin in the face. Did you like him responding to the what chants? I did. I think it takes real <laughs> skill to overcome a what chant because that's a rough chant that is. Seriously. Try and keep up. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't, you make, deaf? don't make me repeat myself. I'm not going to do that again, okay? <laughs> Some of the other ones we watched, we watched like Piper with the Shield, for instance. And I thought that was so cool seeing tough Roman Reigns going... Why don't you get out of here, old man, before I break your <laughs> ass and out of... Oh, how could you say that to him? Or He did some great ones with John Cena, where there was a time where people thought Cena was going to turn heel. And Piper did this promo, and he's like, 
you know, it's the corniest thing ever, which is basically, you mean so much to these people, don't you dare, you know, embrace the hate John Cena. And he did, but like, it was all goosebumps and all the kids were like, oh, Roddy, you're so right, John is our boy. And is him able to do that? Like yeah. he could, he could turn on that switch. And a lot of wrestlers from that time couldn't do that because they would come from a time where it's all off the top of the head and then you come in and you read out a script and it's like awkward and mm. shitty. Piper was really good at doing a script because he was doing movies like yeah. you know, 99% of the time. So that was really nice. And another really cool thing that I think symbolizes Piper and the relationship with the fans. This is one of the sweetest stories ever. Around 2006, 2007, they were doing this gimmick at the time where fans could vote on the matches for a pay-per-view. It was called Cyber Sunday. So you went on WWE.com, you voted for who wants to be you know, in this match with these guys. And Ric Flair was feuding with the tag team champions. And you got to vote in which legend would wrestle with Ric Flair to take on these guys for the tag team championship. And Piper was in no shape to wrestle. He was, you know, hadn't wrestled in years. He was looked terrible. But the fans voted in Rowdy Roddy Piper. And they won the tag team championships on a fluke. And they held them for just for one night, Piper and Flair. It was fucking awesome. But the lovely thing about that was that by the fans voting in Roddy Piper, he had to do a pre-match physical. And because he did a pre-match physical, they actually found out that Roddy Piper had uh, lymphoma. Oh my God. Which is yeah, a form of blood cancer. And because of that pre-match physical, they were able to catch it in time. And Roddy was actually able to get his treatment. And he was safe. And he was able to overcome it. And, you know... That was something that could have really taken yeah. him before his time. When was that then? 2007, I think, thereabouts. Yikes. So he's always said, like, thank you to the fans because you literally saved, saved my life. life. I think that's so, that's fucking beautiful. Yeah. And when I saw him live, you know, he could talk the hind legs off a donkey. But when he was talking about his relationship with the fans, like, it was so fucking genuine. Like, he really loved the, the fans and... He made time. Every single person he met that night, he shook their hands. He fucking chatted with them. He said, I was beautiful. Oh. <laughs> and have you seen the picture I post on Instagram uh, and on Twitter? But me and Roddy, like, I'm like total fanboy. Yeah, the point. Are. And he's looking at me like he's my nan. And I love it. I love it. It looks like I'm sitting on his knee. It does. And I love it so fucking much. It's so cute. <laughs> It's so, nice to hear that he's, like, nice. Worst when you hear the wrestlers are not nice people. Yeah, whether like, jerks or, like, standoffish and stuff like yeah. that. I think, you know, Piper had a lovely relationship with the fans. That was really lovely. Rowdy Roddy Piper, then. Definitely a controversial career. What were your kind of... Your overall impressions of the man? Was he, as someone who was often, you know, claimed to be the best on the mic and the, the absolute wordsmith, did he impress you on the mic? I mean, yeah. what... No, definitely. I, I do agree he probably is the best on the mic of all time. Like, really, I mean, how can you argue with that when he's had such a prolific career in that respect throughout time? And the fact that he kept that up right until his death, basically, mm. like, those are the kinds of skills you could imagine you could lose quite easily. Yeah. Keep on top of it. And I think there were one or two times where Piper did do the Rambly promo. And it was of kind course. of sad. Yeah. But, but considering, I mean, the, the, the thing that really impressed me most about it is the fact that he manages to stay mostly very coherent, mm. even with all the drug abuse and the horrible circumstances in his life and the injuries and everything like that. There's a huge amount of, of stuff that happens to a wrestler, I think, that, that goes against their ability to talk well. Yeah, that's true. And to communicate well. 
And the fact that he managed to keep that, I think, is really amazing. The wrestling itself, though, when he was in the ring, what did you think of him? You know, he's, he's not... You know, he's not the best wrestler <laughs> in the world, as everyone will say. He he's ain't not... no Mr. Perfect or no, on heart or anything. but he's not shit. Yeah. He's not like, oh my God, that was... Well, I mean, I, maybe to be fair, there's probably a lot of matches he's done that were like, that was awful. I never want to see that again. But like on the whole, I thought he was he was good. For new fans who will be checking it out, what were the kind of things that you thought were kind of essential viewing? What, what thing were the important things about Roddy Piper for a new fan to maybe get to grips with? So the things that we've covered in this episode, I would say definitely watch They Live in terms of seeing a wrestler do a cool-ass movie, also as an excuse to watch They Live, because it's a great movie and you should watch it, regardless of Roddy Piper or wrestling. <laughs> Just watch They Live. Please watch They Live. It's so good. Put the glasses on, will you? Jesus, come on. <laughs> I think his weird dog collar match is worth watching mm. because it's just so strange to see that era of wrestling do something so violent and gory and ugh, yeah. gimmicky i think watching his piper's pit with steve austin is is really great just to see how well he held up with the changing environment of wrestling and yeah. how it evolved and, and keeping up with someone like steve austin who's also seen as you know one of the best on the mic mm, absolutely i mean i would definitely say if you can find any of like the kind of the compilations of piper's pits and all the weird little bits here and there always try and go your way to check those out because it's just weird to see how unhinged and off kilter like wrestling was even back then when they're kind of saying hey it's a show we're totally this is just this is sports entertainment we're not trying to pull the wool over your eyes and here's Roddy Piper like fucking punching people out with the blue gun and we're doing this now you know and you know check out you know some of those Piper's pits I think it's just worth as well you know as a new fan you know just don't always just assume the WWE's version of telling you things because their production values are so good and it's all there in the network in a nice neat little package to kind of go, here's Roddy Piper, and that's it in two minutes. But like, it is worth having that discussion. You know, and by no means, I think, do we set up this episode to like try and guess Roddy Piper and... I hate that we even have to talk about, but we have to. We have to, though. It'd be bad podcasts if we didn't cover yeah, that it would be. And I th- fucking issue. And I think it's an issue that we're not just pointing the finger at Roddy Piper. I think we're just kind of looking at wrestling as a whole in that time frame and do kind of have those discussions and do kind of think about that. I think it's a discussion that needs to be had. And I think it's better to have an intelligent discussion about it than to be like WWE and just kind of pivot with a nice, well-produced music video that kind of makes out that wrestling wasn't like this at the time. Yeah, don't be like WWE and try and sweep all that shit under the rug. Let's be honest as a community in, in acknowledging the fact that wrestling has had its horrible past and needs to constantly work on that to overcome that. I think that's super important as well because when shit like the Hulk Hogan tape comes out mm. and shit like that is always going to happen. Oh, yeah. You know, it's always going to happen. But when shit like that happens then, it doesn't feel like wrestling is this like fucking grubby little club where we're all like locked away in this bubble. And in ref- denial in about... In total denial, yeah. <laughs> what really irked a lot of people is like when the stuff with Hogan came out and then there was all these articles on like Vice and The Guardian and Grantland, all these like big big media organizations were writing these kind of wrestling problem with racism and honestly oftentimes it was them not doing a great job at it they were just kind of picking out all these random moments here and there and kind of going wrestling as a whole is racist and i think they actually are more free to do that when we as wrestling fans and we as a community refuse to discuss these issues i think if we're actually a little bit more open about it then when stuff like this comes out and it will that we're more prepared as a community to defend ourselves and more educated to be able to discuss it coherently and respectfully yeah 
I think they live is actually a really good like analogy for wrestling. Yeah. Only like almost in reverse. So like it's almost like when you take the sunglasses off, they're like rose tinted spectacles. <laughs> and you're gonna take them off and be like, see wrestling for what it really was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At points, which is skeletons, Great. <laughs> racist skeletons, all the way back. I mean, Roddy Piper is definitely one where. I mean, I could watch a cocaine-fueled Roddy Piper promo for, for, for days on end. you watching Roddy Piper sweating profusely, smashing beer bottles over his face, going, ah, she partners, let me tell you. You know, there's an energy there with Piper that you don't see in wrestling anymore. There is a spark there. There's a, I guess, a genuineness there where this is a guy who was brought up by wrestling. He is a product of the wrestling business from the 1970s and 1980s. And I think there are not people like Roddy Piper anymore. Because wrestling's not like that anymore. No. But he was he was very much our link with that past of wrestling. And I'm sad that he's gone. I was really upset when, when Roddy passed. I think the main thing I'm I'm most sad about him passing, and I know I say this with every wrestler we've covered that's died before their time, mm. it's the fact it's the impact he could have had on like current wrestling now as as a trainer. Mm. The way he could have given all that insight to, to new wrestlers in terms of how to act on the mic and, and have presence in the ring. Yeah, and, yeah. And really developing your character in terms of not only how to be really likable, but how to really make people hate you. Absolutely. He would do things like he'd make his entrance extra long so that the, the audience would get pissed off before the match had even started. I mean, you see Piper coming in, like, you know, at WrestleMania 1 and 2. You just people throwing shit in the ring. Like, yeah. you know, there's that level of, of healery. That's why I love when I see, like, like a Kevin Owens, you know, these days doing something really despicable and nasty. I always just get a twinge of that's like Piper. Piper is sorely missed. It's really sad that he went when he did, like only 60 so years old, really, really tragically young. His book, which was started by him and then finished by his children, I'm actually halfway through reading it at the moment. Uh, it's called Rowdy, and I can only give him my highest recommendation in terms of really trying to tell this man's story. Piper's often had a strange relationship with the truth but you can't deny that he was an important part of wrestling and one of the all-time greats on that microphone probably the greatest of all time you know what's really nice is thinking of a person in similar circumstances to what roddy was in when he was 15 like leaving home coming yeah. from an abusive household and going yeah. right i'm gonna get into wrestling because it's the only option i have and thinking of the environment that they would be in now as opposed to the environment that he and others in that sort of scenario would have been in in the 70s and the 80s they would be welcomed now there wouldn't be all that the same level of hazing and abuse it's a nice you know you've got Finn Balor playing Lego <laughs> Kevin Owens might take you to the zoo yeah exactly that's what's gonna happen it's like oh that, that bastard Finn Balor he said we were gonna record a let's play but what actually he did was he left me a Toys R Us when he went across the road to buy a new Lego Star Wars whatever set. I'll go play Pokemon Go with Goldust I, I, I had to walk over a minute to find him <laughs> 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 and then he explained everything and asked if I was okay. <laughs> so that's going to do it for How To Piper. I think it's time to get into some of the tweets and Facebook posts and see what you guys in the How To Universe have to say about the hot scot. He's garbage. He's like where he oh, comes please. from. Nothing but garbage where he comes from. Same thing with your world's heavyweight champion. You're talking garbage. This guy comes out 280 pounds and all of a sudden everybody in Boston is standing up and cheering and talking about Hulkamania. Oh, Hot Rod walks out and all of a sudden everybody's booing thinking Hot Rod ain't going to stop.
stand no chance. After all, Hot Rod, he's the only guy. All he's ever done was, was actually destroy Jimmy Snook, our legend. All he's ever done is actually destroy Andre the Giant. Unless someone was to sucker me, they could never get an even shot at me. I bounced the world on my little fingertips. And then all of a sudden, Hot Rod goes into Boston, and he becomes victorious. I actually beat the champion, but no, you don't want to give me the belt. No, no, let me tell you something, mister. I am the boss. I'm the one that's going back in there for the rematch. Not because I won it, because the champion wants it, because I made him look like a fool. They raised my hand on the first man to ever beat the champion. I am the champion, Boston. Thank I you very much, Roddy, Roddy Piper. I am Pants. the true Stay champion. tuned, more action after this. Take his blood. So, Jay Horner says on Twitter, he was ahead of his time. The prototype for wrestlers like CM Punk on the mic and Steve Austin in the ring. That's a really interesting point. And I actually wanted to ask you about that. Would mm. you say then the likes of, you know, my kind of favorite wrestlers, Chris Jericho, Seth Rollins, those kinds of like really braggy, nasty heels who like have all that in-ring mic skills. Mm. Does that all come from Roddy Piper? Oh yeah, I mean, Roddy Piper would be like, see, here's the thing about great talkers in wrestling. Okay, if you look at Hulk Hogan, was considered to be a great talker at the time because he could, you know, he could talk for years, he could talk for miles. But Hogan was just doing superstar Billy Graham, and superstar Billy Graham was just doing Muhammad Ali. There are so many wrestlers who are great talkers who are unfortunately derivative of other wrestlers. You know, they've gotten the idea from somewhere else, they've tweeted, they made it their own, they've made it better. Roddy Piper, though, there was no one like him beforehand, and I'd argue to say there's been a lot of people like him since. In terms of someone who was inspired others on the mic Roddy Piper is like standing up there on his own because there was no one else like Roddy Piper beforehand who was who was doing that on the mic and talking like that and had that kind of pace and that cadence and that wild mad energy he was totally unique and yet he inspired a whole generation after him so I would say yeah Roddy is probably the most influential talker on the mic of all time. And with regards to then Steve Austin in the ring, would you say that that kind of brawling style again kind of originated from Piper? Mm, that's harder to say, I guess, because that was more to do with Austin having to address the limitations of what he had at the time. But and, I mean, you know, having someone like Piper, who's like considered one of the best, having that before him, do you think that made his transition to becoming a brawling style wrestler easier? I mean, I would say yes, but Steve Austin would probably say, be that as it may, things were what they were. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of, maybe the crowd a little bit sweeter for Steve Austin than Roddy Piper. Uh, they did say what quite a few times, even though he instructed them to stop, but they did it anyway. I, he wouldn't give you a straight answer. But I definitely think Roddy, like... He, 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 in terms of his influence on the mic, second to none, no one has influenced more people than he did. Brain Baird says, the bromance between him and Hacksaw on Legends House made me more of a fan than they live. I've not seen much Legends House. Is there a bromance there? Because if so, I need to watch it. I love bromance. I was going to watch some Legends House for this, but honestly, Legends House is a bit of a hard watch in some respects. Mm, it's, it's really sweet when you see Roddy in it become such a close friend with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who was a wrestler from the 80s at the time as well. And Roddy, when he goes into Legend's house, doesn't get on well at all. And it's basically like, they almost play it up like, kind of, oh, what's this guy? He's kind of wacky. He won't talk with anyone. But it's like, Roddy's like, clearly like, depressed and he like, wanders out of the house in the middle of the night. Oh, he won't God. talk to anyone. He's really antisocial. But over the course of the show, when they're living in this house together, him and Hacksaw just start kind of palling around a bit and it's so fucking sweet and lovely to see them being mates basically because Roddy kind of is 
he's real defensive and he's he said it himself in the past it comes from that upbringing of being on the streets when he was a young kid of kind of everyone's out to get me I'm kind of he reverts to that very quickly mm. when things are kind of hard or tough for him he always kind of went back into his shell a bit kind of one man island and it was just so lovely in that Legends house to see him and Hacksaw form that relationship but yeah I didn't watch Legends house because it's a bit it's a bit hard going honestly since his passing I've not watched Legends house because I watched it beforehand and I was kind of like this is hard I think watching afterwards it's going to be even Harder. tougher but I think yeah. it's something we all watch eventually Insta619 says, not wrestling related, exactly, but he was my favourite character on Saints Row 4. I didn't know he was on Saints Row oh, 4. Oh yeah, he's in Saints Row 4 and you uh, you get to fight him in an alleyway. Just what? like in, uh, just like in, uh, in, in They Live, yeah. It's amazing how much of a sort of cultural impact he's had on even like young fans. Absolutely. The fact that like young fans growing up will actually know him from all these like random things like It's Always Sunny, Saints Row, They Live. He's managed to keep him himself in the public consciousness in such a cool way when you look at Hulk Hogan yeah. and how everyone knows him but with a groan and Kevin, kind of a, he was uh, on Santa with Muscles that's the coolest <laughs> film ever made oh sorry yeah can we just talk about that in WCW yeah let's just one second <laughs> one a bit of a sign <laughs> When they did Icon versus Icon in WCW, like Hogan was like, I'm a big, bigger Hollywood star than you, brother. I've been in big Hollywood movies. And Piper's just kind of like, yeah, you were. Yeah, on the one <laughs> hand, you've got, you know, Hulk Hogan, who was, you know, did classics like Santa with muscles. And, you know, you've got shit movies like John Carpenter's They Live, you know. Well, John Carpenter's They Live is just a, just a poor man's Three Ninjas High Noon on Mega Mansion, really, <laughs> at the end of the day, isn't it? <laughs> Gurkuman says, Many people say that wrestlers will say anything to get a reaction, but Roddy Piper may be the one wrestler who literally would. Mm, yeah, I think that's definitely, definitely the case, as we've talked about. Fatty500 says, Piper was talented on the mic and solid in the ring, which unfortunately detracts from the fact that he refused to lose and cut racist promos. Yeah, I think the refusing to losing thing was something that I always like couldn't get to grips with because my you know I only found out this stuff when I first got to know about Roddy on the in the two thousands like looking back retrospectively I was like you can't refuse to lose in the dub what and he was like yeah he didn't get pinned for like seventeen years it was incredible amazing amazing, amazing pseudo says don't know how much you like reality shows but Piper did an episode of Wife Swap with Ric Flair if you're into that. And of course, as we mentioned at the very beginning, very briefly, yes, I was aware. It's the only thing I knew him from. And coming out of that, I will say, Piper seemed like a great dad. He did. And, you know, you can count on your hand if you've had a few fingers amputated, the number of wrestlers with happy marriages who've stayed with them their entire lives. And Piper is like, you know, lived in his home in the mountains of Portland since, you know, since the year dot and he always was taking time off to go back and to be there with his family and his kids speak so highly of him and his wife spoke so highly of him you know you look at him you look at say Hogan for instance not yeah. to say it's not necessarily a, the same equivalence but you know you can see how it's very easy if you're a guy who's making that kind of money or that kind of star to lose touch with your family and lose touch with you know, to not be grounded really especially with the you know the family he grew up with yeah and the background that he had you kind of think that Piper would be like, well, fuck, I don't need a family. And yeah. the fact that he settled down like that was always really quite a heartwarming thing, I thought. That is, it's really, it's nice to know. So I got this from Christopher Hollinshead, who requested this episode over on patreon.com slash howtowrestling. The original loose cannon gimmick. You never knew what Roddy Piper was going to do next. He was wild and unhinged, and we became hypnotized by him because of it. 
Think of all the guys from the Hulk Hogan era. How many of them got stale over the years and became irrelevant? How many of them have not aged very well? Even Hogan himself had become a reviled and controversial character in the world of wrestling and in real life. Piper, despite his flaws, despite his strangeness, despite his shape physically, never got stale to us. All Roddy Piper had to do to get us to cheer was to walk out with a microphone in his hand and he had us in the palm of his hands. He was Roddy Piper, don't you wish you were too. <laughs> all being all, Roddy Piper was probably one of the more challenging episodes that we've done. And I think when I saw Piper was coming up in the schedule, I was like, yes, Roddy Piper, yeah, 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 yeah. Get to talk about him and uh, Frankie Williams. And in reality, looking up on it and looking up on Piper's past, looking up on all the stuff, it was quite challenging to just to kind of to wrap our heads around it particularly for, for a new fan's perspective. What I will say is if you want to know more about Roddy and kind of his life and the stuff that we were talking about, he did a two-part interview with Steve Austin. That was really, really great. I think you should check that out. He did a two-parter as well with Cole Cabana on The Art of Wrestling, which is also really, really good. He has done a lot of podcasts. He even had his own one himself. Wow. Um, I would suggest you check some of those out because no one can tell his story quite like himself. He is difficult to understand sometimes, unfortunately. Piper is a notorious slur of his words and a notorious mumbler and a grumbler. We were left wanting subtitles during this uh, yep. this documentary. But Ronnie Piper's biography that's just come out, I would give that a strong recommendation as well. But thank you so much to Christopher Hollinshead for requesting this episode. Thanks to everyone who tweeted in with match recommendations, with suggestions, with thoughts. And if you've got any feedback about this episode or thoughts on stuff we've talked about today tweet us in using the hashtag #HowToPiper. let us know your thoughts and let's keep this conversation going about ready roddy piper i'm very happy to announce our next episode is going to be one which well i'm not happy sorry yeah it's about to go oh, i'm happy to announce this next episode will make joe fucking miserable <laughs> but this next episode is going to be one that is designed solely to test the iron will of joanna graham we've been <laughs> given a request on patreon for Joe to look at specifically long matches. Now, over in Cinema Swirl, young Sam Chaplin gripes anytime a movie goes over a certain running time. And there seems to be a theory with new fans that they've not got the stomach for a long match anymore because the current product kind of tends to go towards short 15 or so minute matches at, at best. Which I must say, I prefer. Now, you think that you're not going to enjoy this. Yeah. I'm trying to think how many matches I've seen which would run over like I think maybe AJ and Cena is the only one from recent memory I think yeah and I'm guessing not all of the long matches are going to be as good as that so here's the deal we're going to try and get a golden four because we want to have this out in the next year or so <laughs> we want to have four matches the rule is because I've been chatting backwards and forwards with the person who's requested this the rule is we can't do Ironman matches which is most number of pinfalls within a set amount of time because that is essentially cheating because you get to have loads of falls and loads of things happen in between right there's an Ironman match with Randy Orton and John Cena where at one point Randy Orton goes and lets off loads of fireworks <laughs> not those types of matches we're talking matches that have a run time of 45 minutes and up so it doesn't necessarily have to be a match from ye olden times it doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, an ancient, dusty old match. It could be matches from current product. It could be matches from the indies, Ring of Honor. Think outside the box. It could be a match from Japan. What I want to see are the four matches that best exemplify that wrestling can tell a long-form story over the course of around 45 minutes to an hour. 
Okay, that's the kind of where we're looking for here. Joe's got a look on her face as if to say, of course wrestling can't tell a long-form story over that length of time. What are you mad? I know, the only instance I've heard of like long matches is that one which Daniel Bryan tried to do, which was like three hours long. <laughs> He's talking about like, yeah, an hour or two when everyone was leaving, I knew I didn't have him, but yeah. We're looking for that, okay? We're not looking for matches where like they're so comedically long. It's 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 ridiculous. Don't send in Chris Hero wrestling for like nine hundred hours, whatever the fuck it was he did for charity recently. But how to long matches? Use that hashtag. Send in the recommendations, and more importantly, your thoughts. Are you of the opinion that matches need to be longer? You need to have a long match to tell a long story, or are you someone like you know? I've had people who run very successful wrestling podcasts, and, you know, very well known in the wrestling media world, tell me if I had my way, it would be entrances, finishes, and music, and that's it. Are you of that opinion? Is it just short, bombastic, or do you want to see that story? I am of the opinion that you can have those matches. But I'll also be of the opinion that I struggle to think of four. So fucking help me! Help me! Hashtag how to long matches. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of How To Wrestling. And thank you so much for everyone who tweeted in to help make How To Piper a reality. And a big shout out once again to our main man, Christopher Holland's head. If you are listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, or on Stitcher Radio, please make sure you are subscribed. Leave us a rating or review. Help us get up the charts. Go back and check out all our other episodes. And you can follow us on Twitter at HowToWrestling or on Facebook.com forward slash HowToWrestling. And special shout out mention if you're not already. Give us a follow on Instagram for some visual joy. Videos, goofs, gaffs. It's Instagram.com slash HowToWrestling. And you can find us on Patreon, as I'm sure you already know. We have a variety of tiers to suit any backer's needs, starting from as little as $1 to receive our episode notes. And $5, we will get you access to our monthly pay-per-view reviews, of which there are over 20 episodes available now, leading right back to SummerSlam 2015, right when we first started this little podcast. Yeah, all the way back when in the olden times when John Stewart thought it was a good idea to interfere in the main event I'm still not over folks no. it's not over but yeah if you become a $5 backer you get instant access to all that backlog so if you only want to become a backer for one month and check it out and see what the content is like you can get access to everything immediately if you become a $10 backer you get to join us for our live streams live streaming WWE 2K17 a little bit of Yakuza 0 and as well with the $10 backing if you're not able to catch the live stream as it goes off I've actually set it up now so the entire backlog of all the live Live streams are archived there. All you have to do is click on the featured tags. You get immediate access. They're all on YouTube. As a backer, you get access to all of those old live streams going all the way back to when we started this bad boy. For $50, you can become our backer and request an episode. Are you looking to get someone the best ever birthday gift? Well, then this is a great way of doing it. Become a $50 backer, request an episode. We'll put it in the lineup. You get to get an episode of How To Wrestling requested and get us to show Joe a wrestler, a topic, whatever it is, you need Joe to see and new fans to learn about we will do an episode on we love each and every one of our Patreon backers and thank you everyone who's backing us so far and we can't wait to provide you guys with more and more awesome content on patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling and as well don't forget for all your how to wrestling needs your main hub and your main source of all of this is how to wrestling.com you got articles episodes artwork and discussions all about the lovely world of how to wrestling at how to wrestling.com but until our next episode hashtag how to long matches 
It's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And we'll catch you next time on How To Wrestling. Just when you think we got the ending to this podcast, I changed the fact that I don't have a way to make this pun sound good. Damn it! I'll never be Roddy Piper! Damn it! See ya!